Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom starring Harrison Ford, Kate Capshaw, and Kihu Kwan. Story by George Lucas. Eh, maybe we'll decide that at the end of this. Screenplay by Willard Huck and Gloria Katz and directed by Mr. Steven Spielberg. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to continue with our summer box office Hall of Fame part three cast. Looking at some of the best that summer box office has to offer us. One thing this is making me realize, though, is we need more films like this coming out during the summer and less Justice Leagues and Godzilla yeah. versus Kongs. I mean, we'll, we'll definitely talk about kind of the fun aspects of this film and what that brings to summer box office. But we couldn't do Indiana Jones without bringing back one of our past favorite ho- uh, co-hosts, uh, guests <laughs> on here. So I want to welcome back Mark. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. You'll welcome re- back, Mark. You'll remember Mark. Thank Mark, you, guys. Mark joined us. Uh, welcome to the Four Timers Club. Four Timer? Yeah, wow. we, we need to get you like a Ooh, master degree. I hadn't been counting, yes. <laughs> a gold jacket. <laughs> you and John Goodman. Yeah. <laughs> but Mark joined us for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Let me see if I could do this. Return of the Jedi and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Correct. So here we Very go. Good memory. Yeah. Temple of Doom, 1984. This is going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, sequel territory, this storied franchise, all the kind of movement and news about a fifth entry. I'm sure we'll touch on that here coming up, mm-hmm. uh, whether or not that's a good idea. New director, that should be interesting. But uh, cheers. Uh, today we're having some more of the Calumet Farms Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. This is their small batch. We're cheersing around the mics. Careful not to spill everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mark, have you ever had Calumet Farms before? I, I have not, but this goes down way too easily. That's why I like Trouble, it. It's huh? very smooth. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's got a good taste. Uh, kind of a little spicy on the back end. Yeah, but a little like, spicy on the back end. Just just noticing that as you were talking. <laughs> but it's all about that front. I mean, it's a very pleasant drink. So this was one of the first ones I kind of discovered on my own accord. Well, that's a good choice. It's yeah. very pleasant. Excellent. It's a good way to say it. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go ahead and finish this one and just go straight to the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's not beat around the bush anymore. Uh, let's get this started with our flight question. Man. Yeah, the thuggy cult, they just walked in the door there, so we got to deal with that later. But first, let's get down to business. Flight question. You know it's the role, responsibility of the guest to bring the question. So, Mark, what do you got uh, for us to start out the show? Okay, so the first question was, what's your favorite uh, you know, piece of trivia or story about Harrison Ford? Excellent. You want to go first? Um, I'm talking to Matt. <laughs> <laughs> sure you that guy over there <laughs> i think uh the rabbit hole that i went down on this offered like 15 i'm going to give you one okay there's a lot of honorable mentions but since there's three of us when we want to get the show going i'm going to just do one sounds good <clears throat> midnight cowboy a no name and on his own dime 
flies out to take the role of Joe Buck. That's the John Voight character mm-hmm. in Midnight Cowboy. Uh, barely made it casting past the casting agent. Barely made it through the door in one of the worst auditions that he claims he's ever had in his entire life. Mm. Tail between his na- legs, flies back home. John Voight gets the role. I wish I could tell you there was a happy ending to this story, mm-hmm. but there isn't. But like, I think the thing that we'll find with probably, I bet all three of our stories when time we're done is there's quite a bit of perseverance mm-hmm. in these stories we're about to tell. And there is an infinite number of roles that he was either up for or passed on that either were really good or really bad. And even the ones that he took were sometimes really good and really bad too. And then the ones that he got ended up being some of the most classic roles of all time. So <laughs> John Voight wins an Academy Award for this role. For Joe Buck, yeah. And Midnight Cowboy. Uh-huh. Best actor. So this was a big time role. And that's pre-American uh, Graffiti too. Yes, it yeah. is. So, oh, yeah. I mean, if you think about the look, especially that version of Harrison Ford, mm-hmm. And I hope I'm not stealing anybody's thunder here, but essentially on set on tour with some bands before he ever became a movie star. Mm-hmm. He, he's got the look, man. Yeah. But not that part. So that's what I'm going to go. Crazy. With. I mean, that's a different Midnight Cowboy for sure. With Dustin Hoffman too, that's what a 1969's version of Twins, isn't it? Yep. Interesting. Maybe it doesn't work as well. Yeah. <laughs> Great choice. I didn't even know that. Yep. I hope that's in that book. <laughs> Yeah, I just uh, Jesse just gave me a book on Midnight Cowboy. As a matter of fact, before the show, so um, I'm sure it's going to be in there. If not, Excellent. I'll put the addendum in there and rewrite it. Metal put by Matt. By Matt. <laughs> Excellent. Mark, what do you got? Okay, I'm going to go a little off script here with a personal story, if you don't mind. Absolutely. And, and Whoa. Po- apologize for the the hoarse voice. It's allergies, not COVID. Um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, I mentioned to the guys uh, before we started uh, that my brother is in town visiting and. Uh, he and I both watched the movie last night, Temple of Doom, and he reminded me of a story that, that I remember fondly. It was New Year's Eve 1998, you know, going into 1999. Mm-hmm. And uh, my brother was working in Jackson Hole as a river raft guide, uh, Mad River Boat Trips. And it was a New Year's Eve party. It was at the, uh, I think it was at the boathouse. And the owner came up to him, and it was right about right near midnight. And the owner came up to him and said, hey, have you been up to the apartment yet? My brother said, no, well, you got to go up to the apartment. I guess he had an apartment above the boathouse. Okay. So brother goes up the apartment and he said, literally he's walking in the door and it's like 10, nine, eight, you know, the countdown balls coming down in New York (laughs) or whatever. And there's a circle of people and the circle opens up and he comes walking in and this woman comes up and gives him a big kiss. Turns out it was then Harrison Ford's wife, Melissa, was it Matheson? Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and walks in, it's like, three, two, and some guy hands him a joint. <laughs> he takes a big puff of it, breathes it out, looks up. It's Han Solo. It's Harrison Ford. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. At the party. Who, uh, I didn't know he partake of, uh, partook of those types of things. But in any case, uh, my brother finally remembers the event, and he said, I just got one question for you, Han Solo. Harrison Ford says, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. How fast does the Millennium Falcon fly? And he just started busting up laughing. He couldn't hold, hold it together after that. Yeah. So, uh, Had a total nerd, nerd, uh, nerd boy moment. Total nerd boy moment. moment. And uh, it's a fun story. I remember my brother called me right afterwards. He said, you're never going to believe this. You know, we're smoking pot with Han Solo. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Uh, and for the record, my brother also said that's the last time he's ever smoked pot because he is in the healthcare industry and 
<laughs> I love it. Oh, that's gets a- drug tested and that sort of thing. But it was a really fun story. It sounds like uh, um, Harrison Ford was a really nice guy to hang out with and uh, very pleasant to the locals there in Jacksonville. I guess he had a ranch outside of there yeah. at that time. Excellent. Well, maybe I can shed light on uh, the, the joint smoking story because this is my little bit of trivia. So I actually found this out. You were the drug dealer that sold it to him? Yes, it was me. <laughs> no. And we did not work this out in advance. This we, is great. Yeah, we, no, we didn't. But uh, I've always been really kind of interested when I see him go on like Jimmy Kimmel or Jay Leno, David Letterman. And Harrison Ford just looks kind of like he would rather not be there. Like he could give two shits about the film he's promoting. When he gets asked about Han Solo and Indy, he's just like, yeah, ask, that's what you want to ask me kind of a thing. Uh, I learned uh, Harrison Ford actually suffers from a pretty severe anxiety disorder and has a tremendous fear of public speaking. So he's pretty uncomfortable in those positions because he'd rather not be there. He hates doing it. Uh, but the light at the end of the tunnel to that is, I don't know what it was about the Blade Runner 2049 press, press junkets, but him and Gosling together are hilarious. And it really like opened him up a lot more than I've ever seen him open up in like talk show interviews. So maybe it was that combo. Maybe he was really passionate about the film he was talking about, but I've always like, man, Harrison Ford looks like he doesn't give a shit. It's like, yeah, no, he doesn't. This is like a really uncomfortable aspect of being a celebrity that he just isn't into. How about that? Yeah. Tell you what, that's the cast of Star Wars outside of their roles. Mm -hmm. Boy, by the time it got to like the end of Empire, what a mess that must have been. Mm -hmm. Mark Hamill was a complete disaster. That's part of the delay and why that took so long to get the second version of that thing out. Mm -hmm. You've got super anxious Harrison Ford. Yeah. Got Billy D. Williams trying to bed the whole staff. (laughs) Carrie Fisher in whatever state of sobriety she was in. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. Yeah, it must have been pretty. And George Lucas with... And George Lucas. Not the story, <laughs> or coming up with the story at the last second. Can I do one more yeah, honorable go, yeah, mention? Because I, I set myself up for this. This is called Stealing the Mic. No, absolutely. This is what you're not supposed to do. That's day five of podcast school. But I'm going to do it anyway. So many days of this podcasting school. I classes have paid off. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> is that online on Zoom, or how does that work? No, we teach it weekly. <laughs> yeah, we host it. We fight for the mic, too. That's great. <laughs> Take you back to 1991, and Martin Scorsese is getting ready to do Cape Fear. So he talks to De Niro, and he wants De Niro to play Max Cady. Mm-hmm. And he says, hey, I need you to contact your buddy Harrison Ford, because I would love for him to play the role of Sam Bowden. That could have been good. So he does. Mm-hmm. So Ford gets the script, goes back to Scorsese and says, I don't want to play Bowden. I want to play Max Cady. To which Martin Scorsese says, well, we kind of have a lockdown bad guy to do that, so you're out. Mm -hmm. Um, And so De Niro said, yeah, I'm not willing to budge on this either. Yeah. So Ford didn't get the part and went to Nick Nolte. And that (sighs) movie could have been a lot better. Oh, yeah. It could have been. Ford as as Sam Bowden. Yeah. Crazy. There's a lot of roles. Well, everyone wants to play Max Cady. What a fun character to play. (laughs) There's only one Robert Mitchum, though, huh? I know, right? Yeah. Great. Oh, Mark, great question. Uh, it just got me thinking about him. And, you know, I thought a lot about Harrison Ford. And I have some kind of interesting anecdotes, too, about him during the making of this film that I'll share throughout um, just kind of in my notes. But kind of my favorite aspect of revisiting this was I kind of got to see Harrison Ford kind of he had already established the character in the first one. But I was fully believing like he was this character, like he got in crazy good shape Mm -hmm. like he's so toned 
uh, but he just looks more confident as a character. And mm-hmm. some of the character stuff that we're gonna we'll talk about, I just felt he like came into more of his own in this character the second time around as opposed to Raiders. Not that Raiders is perfect. Yeah. Let's get that out of the way. Raiders is perfect, but I felt like he felt more comfortable playing the character this time. Hmm. I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah I wouldn't say anything differently. Yeah, I mean, it, it was totally believable. Yeah, it was really fun to watch again because I hadn't, I hadn't seen that. Uh, I hadn't watched this movie. I can't remember the last time. It's been it's, it's been, been a decades, while. right? Yeah. You know, and and uh, he was great. Well, let's just get right to it. Let's get to our review breakdown of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Inside are the remains of Nuhachi, first emperor of Manchu Dynasty. And now, you give me the diamond. Are you trying to develop a sense of humor or my death? (laughs) (laughs) What's that? Antidote. To what? The poison you just drank (laughs) up. Alrighty. Let's start at the beginning. And the very first kind of the the way we get, we always get that Paramount mountain fade into a real mountain. Kind of like this one, we get this silver gong mountain. Uh, it's up on the rankings of the good, not the Prairie Dog Mountain from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I don't know if you remember that one, but mm-hmm. uh, we kind of open up with a little bit of a musical number here. Uh, let's just talk about this, kind of kind of get it out of the way and kind of what we thought about that. First thing, though, my, just my thing. I always hate how Kate Capshaw blocks the title with her body. <laughs> I want to read the whole thing. The Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom as a kid. That's always bugged me. But what do you think of this just kind of opening just musical number? I mean, it's a jaunty little tune to kind of just kind of just get us into it. You want to go first or want me to go? Go ahead. Go ahead. It's brutal. <laughs> brutal. <laughs> Which part? Her singing? Or? Yes. It's brutal. Like. For me, the comparison in this opening compared to the first one is comparing the greatest wine you've never tasted to Three Buck Chuck. And the body that you brought up of Kate Capshaw is such an issue. Let me draw a corollary here, and that's between our boy Brian Singer and Brandon Routh. Mm. Talked about that in Superman, right? Yeah, yeah. And as we are watching that movie unfold, we're seeing Brian Singer fall in love with his lead actor with every single shot. Yeah. I get where this is going between Capshaw and Spielberg, Mm -hmm. but it is so clearly evident in this opening scene that we open on her in a musical number, not Karen Allen, not in some temple or awesome geographical location tucked away in the middle of some interesting place. We get in a nightclub in 1935. This is a, prequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark. So this takes place before that. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Right. Pre-Nazis, right? Yeah. Oh, well, 35. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so, I mean, you, it's plausible that, that together. <laughs> yeah. 35, 36, and then the crusade is 38. That gives us an out. So why Karen Allen is Karen Allen isn't in the film, right? Because this is pre her. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, but we are, taking a Casablanca-like approach to what 
can only be described as swashbuckling action film. And I'm not sure what kind of poison the temporary antagonist is going to use on Mr. Indiana Jones in this, but it is the slowest acting poison in the (laughs) history of any poison. Mm -hmm. Um, I went through and watched this opening bit and I'm saying to the getting of the antidote and then getting away, watch this twice. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make sure the first time that I wasn't just being an asshole about it. It's brutal. Kicking the fucking diamond on the floor. Just the antidote rolling around and always keystone copy bullshit. Oh, I love that shit. (laughs) I'm out. Like it's a terrible start for me in this beginning, but I'll say this. I do like, despite Kate Capshaw's body and what Jesse said in the titles, which is annoying. I do actually not dislike Kate Capshaw as much as I thought I originally did. And I'm wondering, like, she's in the running for maybe more, a little bit more likable than Karen Allen for to me. Interesting. But, um, whew, uh, it's well, rough start for, for she, me. She grows on, on you throughout the movie. Well, let me, she let, grows on you throughout the absolutely. movie. Absolutely. Yeah. What, what about you? What do you think of this whole musical number just to kind of start out? The, yeah, this is definitely different than the last, you know, we had to establish a whole character in a world than the last one. We don't have to do that this time. No, so. you, you know who he is. Um, I, I didn't have as violent a reaction as Matt, maybe. Um, it was a bit over the top, yeah. but that whole opening sequence was over the top. Oh, absolutely. You know, you know and, and maybe we'll talk about the uh, you know, plane and getaway and that sort of thing. It was just, the like, whole- wow, it's crazy over the top. And what, what really struck me, too, was very period oriented the period you know that the dancing number the song that was chosen the, the yeah. zoot suits that the gentlemen were wearing you it's, know it's very ve- like gangster very you know. 1935 i yeah. mean the, this harkens back to those busby berkeley uh musical numbers that were so like there could be an argument could be made that the musical was maybe the most popular genre of the 1930s i mean they churned them out left and right uh, what I do like about it is it's it's a nice levity to where we're going to go later. I mean, we're going to get dark later and chest heart ripping and slave whipping and uh, like the, the slaves cr- uh, screaming. I'm going to play a clip of that later. I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of a nice. I, I've always hated this as a kid. I mean, I was just like, let's get on with it. I want indie. Let's get to it. But this time I was like, these dancers are like pretty talented. There was a dance move they did where they all do the splits. And then they came back up? And then they came back yeah. up, and I was like, did they shoot that in reverse? And they couldn't have, because the other group on the side was actually walking forward. So they there's no way they could have. I watched that part twice. So there's some talent there, and to Williams kind of writing this little jaunty tune, but uh, it's, it's such a polar opposite from Raiders, and maybe that's why I like it. I don't want Raiders rehashed again. I want it. I want some differences here. Why? Um, because if I want to watch Raiders, I'll go watch Raiders. I mean, if we're continuing on, and to me, the rule of sequel is I want a a similar world, but I kind of want things done a little bit differently. I don't want to take the same path because like I said, I'll go watch the set. I'll go watch the original one. Uh, I don't, and this one, because we're kind of taking a step back in a prequel, I want to see different things with the characters, maybe that are pre Raiders. Uh, and we're going to get that with Indy and kind of his, um, his young ward, (laughs) so to speak. So I'm with you on that. I understand that. Here's my take on that, though. Mm-hmm. I want some <clears throat> geographically diverse environment. It's given to me. Yeah. I want the pursuit of something. I guess it's kind of given to me, although it's just a diamond and the antidote. But if I wanted Bond, I'd just go get Bond. I wouldn't watch you know, Keystone Cops 
slapstick Bond. I just go watch Bond. And that's where I was really troubled. Like in the suit. Well, he comes in super, super dressed very, he's wearing wearing the Goldfinger suit uh, that Sean Connery wore. It's identical. Okay. So it absolutely is. Yep. What you said is fair. Mm -hmm. And if I want the original, I'll watch the original. (laughs) But if I want international man of espionage, I'm not going to Indiana Jones. If I'm looking for the architectural scholar who is oh, rough yeah. and tumble, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you there. So, I mean, a different take and a different, um, I think we both see it the same way. Mm-hmm. I just, when this movie came out in 84, 84, yeah, I remember sitting in the, th- and I saw this uh, one summer at this camp that I was at. We all got to go to the movie theater and we went to like a YMCA. It's a fun camp. Field trip to <laughs> yeah. the theater, right? Yeah. In the and bus. I, yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> and I remember looking around thinking like, what in the hell are we doing right now? Mm-hmm. And it hasn't changed. Um, mm-hmm. Big band musical leaves me cold from the get go. We open on Kate Capshaw, which is just vanity project with Steven Spielberg's like fingerprints oh, all over it. Yeah. yeah. And then mm-hmm. we get the indie that now we're get that indie leaves pretty much. We're going to get back to my version of what indie yeah, is. We're going to get right to it here in a second, but that that's a hard pass. And that seven minutes for me. Go ahead, Mark. Did you guys catch the name of the club? Club Obi Wan. Yeah, club Obi Wan. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the Star Wars references. Uh, yeah, uh, I've always, I've always rather, rather enjoyed that. What I do also appreciate about this opening is the film starts in Nurhachi and Laoshe and Shanghai and all this crazy shit that's happening here. And you're like, man, where is this film going to go? Like, where are we going to go? When you kind of think of the beginning and think to where we end up, it's like, holy shit! Like, we've gone on a ride. Like, to get from that to Pankot Palace and the thuggy cult killing people left and right and the slave children. I, I also appreciate that. Like, I like to think back on like the, the road to get there. Like I, I played that a lot with horror. We uh, like Texas chainsaw, like, man, we just started out driving down the road, trying to go pay our respects to, to grandpa and, and grandpa's meat factory. And we ended up here in the house from hell. So yeah. I can, I can appreciate the journey. And I guess that's why I like it because the film eventually does away with Lao Shea and I'll, I'm okay with that. It's very Bond-like in the opening. I'm glad you brought up Bond because that's kind of, it always, they always set out to make a Bond film with Indiana Jones. So I want to ask you guys a question. In, in the original one, mm-hmm. the opening bit is to introduce us to Belloc. Is the takeaway in this to enter to do to Willie and her desire for diamonds? Is that our takeaway here? Because that's all the that's all we get. Well, I would say the introduction in Raiders is more an introduction to Indy versus Belloc. I mean, Belloc's definitely part of it and becomes the antagonist. Uh, but yeah, I think it's an introduction to Willie, also to Short Round, and Short Round, yeah, yeah, and, and just kind of our establishing characters. We're going to take these same elements and we're just going to place them on a different chessboard. Okay, so let me rephrase that then, and maybe I won't ask as a question. I'll just make it as a statement. In Raiders of the Lost Ark. We get Indiana's skill set right away. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's actually not really all that refined. He's, he kind of gets a little lucky in that, mm-hmm. which makes it fun. And it's fun with boulders and daggers and poison this and moss that triggers this and all of those, those moments. And we get the sleight of hand, right? The sand and the, the uh, statuette. Yeah. And then we watch that go up in flames. So we've established two things, which is Indy's abilities and then the bad guy that will be revisited. If you take that formula, which clearly worked, (laughs) it's like the best opening of a movie maybe ever. Mm -hmm. And you compare the same 
criteria to this one. What you're going to establish is Indiana's well-dressed and a spy-like character. And I guess we're going to see an important bit with Poison. Nope. The character that takes the diamond or serves Indiana the poison? Nope. We're going to get Willie and her desire when Indiana is dying from this poison to chase diamonds. So then I guess... But that's not my takeaway from... That's all that's... But by the time it's all done, that's all that's left. I know, but this is just the cold open. I mean, it's been three years since Raiders. We just got to reestablish the world, our characters, and just have a fun, jaunty little action number. It's no different than a Bond film. The Bond cold opens that literally have nothing to do with the rest of the film. That that is true. Most of them. Some of them do. The part that I found similar was, again, Indy found this, the ashes of the Emperor in this vase or whatever it was. And he found the artifact and the bad guy got it from him, which seems to be a recurring theme. Yeah. Right. Throughout the first movie. Real quick. And then we'll, we'll kind of move on to the next sequences. What do you think of the shish kebab through the chest? <laughs> that was awesome. That was dark. And, and we'll probably talk about the darkness. Of this That's kind point. of when, you know, like I was like, wow, Indy's kind of, he, he murdered that guy with in, in that regard. Um, and then, you know, yeah, we kind of just get on with it. Like, it's kind of no big deal, but it's kind of, I think, evocative of the tone. I mean, since Poltergeist, and we did a whole thing on Poltergeist and Spielberg's hand in that production. Oh, that was Toby Hooper. Yeah. Toby Spielberg. Yeah. Spielberg, uh, Stephen Hooper. Uh, Patreon plug there, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he's, Spielberg's been going through, not going through, maybe in his personal life, whatever, but like really testing the boundaries on how dark he's willing to go with his films. I read somewhere that what didn't, didn't like he had a breakup and Lucas was getting a divorce or got divorced when they were yeah. writing the script. And they said, Oh yeah, we kind of went a little dark with this. Yeah. They both, they both admitted in, in interviews and like the documentaries that, yeah, they were both divorcing, breaking up and they were kind of in a really kind of darkish space writing this thing. And that's why it, tonally it went that way. Is that why <laughs> Willie's a seductive gold digger? Maybe. I'm serious, but, but I'm gonna I'm serious. T- but I'm gonna tell you, I call out. <laughs> but I'm gonna tell you, I don't have a problem with how dark this, this this one goes. I mean, it's one of the things I've always appreciated with Temple of Doom compared to Raiders. Like I said, uh, I kind of like when we get into the pretty dark shit coming up, and and we'll we'll, we'll get to it. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, just kind of the personal. I, but I always feel like you know Spielberg's trying to test how far he can take this PG rating. And this is going to kind of be its undoing because between this and some other films coming out in 84, they're like, we need an in-between because mm-hmm. yeah, this sh- family summer blockbuster sh- guys getting shish kebobbed, uh, ripping hearts out. We're eating bugs and monkey brains and we're doing some crazy stuff. Uh, so we introduce short round. We get a nice kind of little chase through the, the city here. And then we get on the plane. Did you notice the Dan Aykroyd cameo? I told you to pay attention for yeah. it. Yeah. I don't know. Because is Dan Aykroyd, is he in 1941 mm-hmm. Spielberg film? Yeah. So yeah. they have some kind of, and then they were in the, the Twilight Zone movie disaster that was the year before this. Um, another a dark moment for Spielberg. I mean, he's got he's floating around a lot of really kind of crazy personal life things. But then we, I've always really appreciated um, his tongue-in-cheek, though, when he's kind of bids for well, and he's like, nice try, Laoshe cuts the door and it's like his plane like i've uh, it's uh, it's just like a great just kind of cut of like well shit like now he's 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 super screwed now 
But then we finally get on with it. You know what I mean? And we get on to the adventure and these guys, you know, bail on, on the plane, leave them with no pilots. And then we kind of get, you know, we kind of get into the action again. Yeah. But the, the falling raft out of the. Oh yeah. We'll, uh, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Okay, that's, we'll it's, about it's my least favorite part of the film. No. Do you? Oh, no. How hard oh, can it God. be? I'm at a faint. Altimeter. Okay. Oh, Airspeed. Uh, okay. Fuel. 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 Okay, Star Wars Easter egg number two of the episode. The sound effects when the planes are losing is when the Millennium Falcon can't go to hyperspace and Empire Strikes Back. It's the same sound. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. It's a great sound. I mean, don't repeat it, but Mark, I'm in full agreement with you here. I mean, to me, Indiana Jones is kind of, at least for the most part, I mean, we had we had uh, the Ark of the Covenant and the Angels of Death in the last one and Close Your Eyes. I mean, there's a suspension of disbelief sure. there for sure. But he's always existed within the plane of reality for me. Yeah, when he swam to the sub, the U-boat. Yeah, that, yeah that's fine. Know, that was believable. Yeah. The, the, the rolling ball in the cave, you know, and all the booby traps, you know, that was yeah over the top, but believable, right? Yeah, yeah, the raft out of the plane has always just been like, okay. That, that was a bit over the top. It's too much, but it's not even just out of the plane onto the snow. We go over a cliff into a, a raging river. But gentlemen, I want to ask you this. Is that more ridiculous and or equal to... The fridge nuking in Crystal came out of the Crystal Skull because that takes the cake for me. <laughs> that's a tough comparison because that's movies just garbage. So <laughs> let's. I don't think I saw it. You know, now you mentioned uh, it. Maybe we'll <laughs> no, some it's, are. Okay. It, it's it's not. Okay. I mean, that's better than yeah, that. That's the answer I was looking for. But <laughs> no, it's it's not good. I mean, so is eating beetles compared to chilled monkey brains. Mm. But um, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to ask you guys a question. Okay. Snakes. Yeah. Of all the things you could do out of a descending plane, right? One parachute, three people to use it. Uh, the bad guy that shows up and kicks her out the door. And then he's got to put on the parachute and catch her before, like he's got to beat the bad guy up and then jump out of the plane to catch her before they hit the ground. Like there's a number of things they could do. Mm-hmm. Why in the writing room did somebody not go, look, man, I know we push the envelope a little bit in this series. I think I get it. Makes it fun. <laughs> didn't somebody go, yeah, that's fucking stupid. Because that's fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. I don't know why. What happened? That's, that's my question to you. So, like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just like we want to do the impossible. We want it to look cool. We need to have an action bit and escapism. I mean, these were inspired by, as we talked about on Raiders, uh, the Saturday morning cliffhangers, Dick Tracy, Flash Gordon-esque uh 15 chapters come back next week to get the continuation. So this is kind of like that element. It's like, will they survive? Yeah, they're going to survive, but their solution to survive is preposterous. Yeah. I'm fully, I'm fully in agreement with you. Is it enough to ruin the film for me entirely? No, because we're We're going to get to some fun stuff here coming up, but it was entertaining. 
No, it's, it's totally entertaining. Yeah, it's absolutely entertaining. I mean, like I was always impressed. I was like, okay, how many times did they have to shoot this fake raft going out of the plane because it comes out like perfectly flat? Yeah, it, can't, it can't tumble. It didn't tumble. <laughs> yeah, I was like, how many times? Because it's weighted in the middle, guys. Come on, physics. Had, I was like, how many times did they have to do? Because then that there's just a model. I mean, there's like puppets in there, and they're not really in there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you want to volunteer for that duty. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, stuntman Vic Armstrong. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's always been crazy. And then they get into the river and they're just, they're yelling at each other. And it's, it's pretty ridiculous after, after that. But finally, like we can just be like, okay, enough of this kind of crazy bullshit. Let's kind of just let our guard down. And then boom, they're introduced to, I actually don't even know this guy's name, but, uh, head of the village, a village, uh, Sensei. Elder yeah. yeah, village elder. That's the word I was looking for. I almost called him a sensei. Wise man. Yeah, yeah, village wise man. And they're like, oh my gosh, we're, we're in India. Like, so their whole goal was like, Indy's whole goal is like, I got to get back to the university. Where does Indiana Jones Does he live in California? That's a great question. I don't know if it's ever told to us. Maybe Massachusetts. That college always seems like upstate New Yorkish. It does seem East Coast, doesn't yeah, it? It does. Yeah. When he meets with the. Um, Pentagon people? Faculty in the first film. Don't yeah. they have British accents? Well, those guys... Oh. Right, when they pitch him on the idea of digging up the Ark, don't they have British accents? So I'm wondering, is he at Oxford? Well, the only reason I say he's in the States is because after, in Raiders, after Marcus Brody says, go get it, I mean, he starts his journey from San Francisco. Cal would fit with the um, architect, not architecture, the um, anthropology. Like, I buy that there. And don't you think that would be what Spielberg and Lucas would pick? California boys? Like, feels like it. Probably. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. You don't think it's the University of Missouri? <laughs> Go Tigers. <laughs> no? <laughs> Probably not. Okay, I just thought, maybe. I, I grew up in the same town as George Lucas in California, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love those. I love those little anecdotes. Mark, Bro, how many like of these side anecdotals? You know everyone. That's no, awesome. <laughs> no, I don't. That's great. <laughs> anyway, why, why did I bring up? Okay, so he's only concerned. He's like, I got to get back to my university. I have classes yeah. to teach. I don't know where I'm at. Do you have a guy to take us to Delhi so I can get on a plane? And then they learn this horrific story on like what's happened to their village and everyone's all malnourished, crying, freaking out. And no one speaks the language, but this guy, and I love how they, um, real, real Indian man. I don't know if he was an actor or not, but mm -hmm. didn't speak English. So he phonetically did all these English parts. Mm -hmm. So like all this, like they cover in darkness. Like he's just Spielberg's telling him do what I'm saying. And that's how he's doing the dialogue. I thought he did an okay job. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. What do you think of kind of this story and kind of Indy's moniker? Because this is where the film gets interesting to me because Indy in the last film is almost a borderline. I don't want to say superhero. That's not because he's not a, doesn't have superpowers. He's closer to Batman, but yeah. he's almost like almost so unstoppable. He overcomes all the odds. And in this film, we get an Indy that's like, listen, man, our plane crashed. I need to get to uh, to Delhi so I can get in, in, uh, back to go teach my classes. I don't know what's going on here. And then this guy mentions these stones, and Indy's like, light bulbs. Yeah. Artifact. Yeah. And I kind of forgot this aspect of the film where Indy's kind of like, you know what? If I go get these things, this will be a pretty penny back, back home mm -hmm. um, in the museum. It almost seems like the kids, their stone is completely secondary or not even kind of on the table. You know what I mean? Yeah. What do you guys think of the fortune and glory moniker of this film? Yeah. Yeah. They, they, did, they did call that out, right? Yeah. 
fortune and glory. Well, yeah. this makes him interesting to me. That's yeah. that's a that's a good character flaw. He's in it for the glory. A little bit more mercenary than hero. Sure. I think that changes a bit later on. Mm-hmm. But um, well, I, I kind of know the moment. Maybe we can agree the moment it changes. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, like I think a bit of a hired gun. Feet not quite clay, but um, hard clay. <laughs> Indy's for sale for the right price. And He's a capitalist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If the means justify the end financially, then he'll probably take on your plight. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the parts in this film that works for me and also is part of the struggle that I have with some of it. The film, I think for me goes through waves of inconsistency. Like you brought up one of them specifically. And what I would mean is Mm -hmm. the shish kebab death. Mm -hmm. It's a funny death because it's a shish kebab, but it's brutal. Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah. Our tonal balance in this film is kind of on a scale. It's going left and right. We want action, but we do descending from a plane and an inflatable raft action. It's just, there, yeah, and may, maybe it has to do with these fellows being in an interesting place with maybe some of the personal demons they're wrestling with and their 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 love lives. Yeah, possibly. I and I mean, if anyone ever doubts that that's an issue, go watch Eddie Murphy Raw. Yeah. I'm serious. Mm-hmm. He had admitted it's one of the darkest periods in his life. It's a com- It's very few laughs compared to Delirious. Mm-hmm. That's a fucking dark hour and a half because Eddie is not in a happy place at all. Right, naked on a beast in the middle of the like, <laughs> yeah, I remember, that, I remember that. That's a dark film because yeah. so I mean it plays. It's, it's not uncommon. No, it, yeah, art imitates life and it's therapeutic, especially the writing. Blah 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 blah. But it is wildly inconsistent. It's a total roller coaster. However, yeah, back to the original question, mm-hmm. Indy as the potential hero, if it's right, and by right, it's by his accounting or his capitalistic endeavors then maybe your plight's worthy. Kind of makes him a bit bastard-like. Oh, yeah. I think, and I'm glad that maybe this works better because it is a prequel. So the Raiders, Indy's a little more refined. He's gone through a few more adventures that were able to see this fallible side to him <clears throat> that's a little more flawed. And I think this is where he kind of takes a step above. Um, we keep talking about Bond. It's unavoidable, but Bond's always just been so the same, apart from like, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and then like Casino Royale with Daniel Craig, where he could be flawed. I mean, Bond's more superhero than Indiana Jones ever could be. I like that in film two, they were like, well, we're going to give him a bit of an edge. I mean, he's going to kind of kill these guys in this fashion. He's in it for the fortune and glory. He's going to disrespect the Maharaj. <laughs> I mean, he's going to kind of go through all these all these different things. And I think I like that about the character. Um, he's He's growing... And we kind of kind of don't know it yet. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. his, he's kind of forming his own interesting little character arc here. Yeah. I was going to say something about, but like it, the tonal shifts. And I wonder this because we, we kind of talked about this in Poltergeist too, because we go from in Poltergeist ripping faces off to Carol Ann cute. Comes in good on channel four. Yeah. We have moments like that. And I wonder if, is that the Spielberg moniker? I mean, we're willing to dip a toe into the darkness where this is almost a horror film, uh, but we're still making family summer blockbusters. Whereas where I would call Jaws is all in and, Jaws knows what it is and is comfortable with its identity. 
But starting with like E.T. and Poltergeist and Gremlins and this film specifically, we want to be cute with it, but we want to have our cake and eat it too. Can we talk? Let's talk about that for a minute. What? All of (laughs) that idea that you just brought Mm -hmm. up. So let's take Jaws. It gets to the edge of being very terrifying. And I think in some ways it is because no one wants to be devoured by a shark. And Mm -hmm. we can all relate because the music and the swimming pool and all of the ways we've played in just the thought like, man, I'm in such an, <laughs> I'm in such a disadvantaged position in the water as a mammal versus anything that's got fins. Like it's curtains. If anything wants dinner, mm-hmm. right? So that's right. the top of the food chain. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it plays on a very simple concept there. That movie has moments of levity in that, that are done through dialogue and creativity. Mm-hmm. What's starting to happen and it happens in Jurassic park mm-hmm. and it happens in ET and it happens in this. And it specifically happens in Gremlins with Mowgli. Not Mowgli, as, um, <laughs> what the hell is it? Mowgli. Gizmo. Gizmo. Yeah, Gizmo. Mowgli, the, the Jungle Book. <laughs> um, Rudyard Kipling and uh, Lawrence Kasdan, very similar in their mm-hmm. writing styles, right? Um, you buy off the creativity through dialogue with what, to me, is really a deal breaker for Spielberg at this point in his career. And that's the kitschy of cute. Mm-hmm. And cute is the innocent. Yeah. Short round in this, Gizmo, she comes in really good on Channel 4. Sam Neill in that stupid conversation with that kid on the beach about the talent and the velociraptor. Like, we scare the audience, but we scare them with the kid. Mm-hmm. You're in some pretty heavy water here, because if you fuck up that kid, the movie goes straight horror. Yeah. And you can't do that. Like, you, ha- you there's a fine line, and I recognize that. But... I want to pose a question as we move through this to sort of back this point up that's in my mind. And maybe you guys can um, walk me back from the edge on this. Not only does Short Round have an unexplained origin with Indy, but what purpose does it serve in this film other than rounding some of the edges? And as we move through this, because thought about it a lot now for 17, 18, 19 hours. And I can't come up with anything. I can't even say that's a that's a formidable opponent to the Maharaji because the Maharaji goes on their side eventually anyway. Because you can't watch Indy punch out a seven year old Maharaji. No, we got to see the kid do it because that's yeah. what I want to do. I want to punch that kid out. The kid's the child. He's the child fantasy in in me watching this. Because my argument to that is that these are still kids' films at the end of the day. Maybe not Jaws so much, but E.T. Gremlins. This one. Uh, Close, like these are movies made for kids at the end of the day, summer blockbuster kind of family fair. So I think he att- poltergeist attacks, you know, the kids and kind of does these cutesy things because the kids are the buy-in on this. I mean, Spielberg has full, he's the most powerful director in Hollywood at this time. He fully knows the machine and he understands I can't just make a movie for the adults. I got to make something for the kids too. So the kids I think are the identifiable factors in that. If I scare them too, they're still in it uh, tepidly. Uh, but they're along for the ride. It's it's kind of an interesting way to make a film. They do kind of subtly explain Short Round's origin. His parents were killed in a bombing. And, uh, tried to pickpocket him or something like that. Or- yeah, and he tried to pickpocket him, and he kind of kind of turned him straight and turned him right. But, like, you're right. He is here as the kind of the kid moniker. But it's another thing. I mean, Indy's kind of taking on this kind of pseudo-parental role. And this, this Indy, I don't necessarily know. I don't think he's a really good father figure. What do you think? No, no, I, I, I think, I think you're right, and and I was, you know, I was thinking as Matt was talking that for me the kid is to sort of complete the family, the mom, the dad, and the and the kid, and then I started thinking about well, 
you know, the kids were the ones who were taken prisoner and, and kept as slaves. And there's a kid that was the bad guy. And, and you know, in some respects, Shorty or Short Round is a little bit of a hero in this too, as a kid, mm -hmm. which kind of makes for a nice storyline, I think. Yeah. Kids rescuing kids. I mean, well, where we come down the line, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about because it gets, it's getting too cute for you, right? Yeah. Well, well, all these films, you don't even like, you don't like Gremlins either. Okay, so let me answer the first part of that. It's not too cute for me. It goes back to what we're already talking about. That's the inconsistency. If you're going to skewer somebody with a kebab, it's not a kid's movie. It's not. It's not. Good point. But the kids are coming because it's <clears throat> Indiana Jones. If you're going to take a kid and later whip them, then there has to be a sum total to that. And that is, I mean, I don't need to see short round walking around with slashes on his back because he's been whipped. Like we get it. It's pretty brutal, but they didn't not show that in Indy. Yeah. So if you're going to go, go ahead and go. And I think they do, but, but because of the time, I mean, if they go, it's going to be R, they have to kind of walk the fine line. So part of the inconsistency then is figuring out with this new rating that we've already addressed, which is this PG 13 and how far can we go? Well, it's not there yet. I want to just bring up a question. If Indy saves the kids and the kids are being um, treated so poorly by the Molaram and his, his minions, his acolytes, they're not, no, no, they are, they yeah. are. It, and they are. Yeah. There's still a buy-in for those people that are younger because Indy's protecting them. But also to that, to the inconsistency, here's my other point. Indy's the mercenary who will take this cause for these, is it Shannara? How do we pronounce those stones? Oh, the Shankara stones. Shankara stones. Mm -hmm. Because he thinks it'll fetch him a pretty penny at the museum. Mm -hmm. So he'll sell out an entire community of people that have no food. <laughs> for these Shankara stones, but he'll take short round underneath his wing and raise him. It's inconsistent across the board. Well, I don't think he's going to, he's going to give them their stone back. He's going to take the other ones though. Still, still inconsistent. Yeah. You're either, you're either the parent, the, the father figure and caring or not. And it, it's not Harrison Ford's fault. It's not short rounds fault. And like, I'm not a huge fan of that kid either. Cause I don't like the Goonies either. So I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. Well, you don't like the 1980s. <laughs> That's not true. I don't like, I don't like this portion of the 1980s, mostly because of this, but why do I like it so much? You tend to be very nostalgic with the 1980s and having lived through it in real time, it, I'm different. Yeah. I think that's why, but that's, it's, yeah, that's fine. But I think short, short rounds here because you know, well, I'm here for indie. I don't relate. I, maybe now because I'm older, I didn't relate to Indy in this thing. I mean, short rounds, someone I can kind of like, that's like Indy Jr. I was like, I want to be doing the stuff he's doing because yeah. I could probably actually do that. I no, I'm not going to do Kung Fu. Drive the car with the blocks on your feet. Yeah. yeah. Do something like that. I mean, it's, it's childhood fantasy kind of wrapped in this whole kind of like serial uh, challenge. I know what, exactly what Matt's talking. We've had this conversation a lot, believe it or not. I mean, just like with the films of this period, because they are so well-regarded, well-liked, have good legacies to them, but uh, yeah, they can leave you in kind of a different state, so to speak. And I wonder too, like when these came out, I mean, you're... I can tell you when I saw it. Like when we when we left, the I was like, this was terrible. But you're kind of growing out of it too, you know what I mean? Like I was uh, nine. Yeah. So, I mean, mm. I'm short round essentially. I'm not, but, you know, per the age. And there's there's still some stuff in here that works, but... Looking back at it now, all of these years later, with some study of film on some level, ugh, puke. It's it's really flawed in its perception, 
for me because it's really flawed in the story build at the base level. The story doesn't suck. Like the story's like, I got to get these stones and I'm either going to rescue this town or I'm going to make like that, that that mostly works except even as much as that works, there's a bunch of shit that they do in this that also make that not work. Like Kate Capshaw cares and Indy gets smitten because he recognized there's a diamond in the stone. Oh yeah. Now that first scene matters. No, it doesn't. Just a nondescript diamond. Yeah, that's 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 there for a laugh. <laughs> I mean, okay, so yeah, uh, that goes right. So there's that, and I I can grant them the grace of not knowing exactly how far to push it with R and PG and PG thirteen. I that's and it's tough. Like that's really yeah. That's, we I mean we talked about Midnight Cowboy to start the yeah. It's another film that could fall in the same right. Mm-hmm. First X film to ever win all these awards, rated X initially at the start. he can't make his mind up on where he wants to go. And I will grant him the grace that he's early in the game and he doesn't know it. But looking back on it now, it just ends up being super distracting to me. And there's a couple moments that short round and that character make me smile, but there are far many more. I'm just like, get the fuck on with it and get this guy out of the scene. I don't care. Oh my God, man. (laughs) Well, let's finally get to Pankot Palace. So we're gonna we're on the quest for these stones. It's India. They filmed in Sri Lanka. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So the Indian government had a lot of problems with the script, so they actually didn't get permission to uh, uh, to film there. But uh, they were able to get a lot of India Indian talent uh, there. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Refill here. Refill. Or we're go- we're going in deep into the second half of the <laughs> into the second half of this thing. Just getting good now. Like, like you can get heated. I, I understand. I mean, like, I mean, we I, look. Obviously, we have really different perspectives on this film, and that's okay. That's the that's sometimes the point of it, though, too. Yeah, the, obviously, this is not a better movie than Raiders, but like, I still had a great time watching this film and the swashbuckling antics. And maybe that's just because I like this character in just whatever adventure. And maybe you know, we'll talk in the the nightcap question. I want more of that. You know what I mean? Like ar- the ar- archaeology world and the quest for artifacts could be so interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think what works best for me is I think the setting of this, once we get into the bowels of Pankot Palace and all the secrets that it houses, is just a labyrinth of just like possibilities of a nightmare for me. Uh, but let's talk about the scene we've already alluded to. What do you think of this dinner scene? <laughs> with the What do we got? We got uh, wor- uh, mini snakes inside a big snake. We, we're eating spiders, uh, chilled Beatles. monkey brains. Oh, and the eyeballs for... Spitting the soup. Yeah. I gotta tell you, I mean, this gives the Indian people a bad rap because they don't eat this kind of yeah. food. It's here no, for the... Nobody does. It's here for the, okay, I would hope. <laughs> Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dahmer? Yeah. Right. yeah. Oh, it, 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 you know, that, that was one of the scenes, you know, there, there were a few scenes that, cause I hadn't watched this in a long time that, mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me, yeah. um, that, uh, like, I don't remember the opening scene yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Uh, when I watched it again last time, I'm like, is that how this movie started? But I remember the monkey brains, mm-hmm. right? You know, that is just so over, over the top, like we've been saying. Um, but you know, what a, what a, what a, I, okay. Yeah. It's gruesome. It's, you know, gives you the willies and whatnot, but it kind of alludes to the fact that there's something very bad going on in this place, right? You know, sort of the the hint that the um, this is not your usual palace in India. Yeah. Oh, they, I'm glad you said that because that's kind of my assumption. It was like, that's like the first like sign that, man, something's amiss here. There's some freaky shit going here. They're, they're feeding us some crazy food. 
what is going on? Then they're talking about the thuggy cult and kind of this routine kind of like surveillance that this British army's doing. Yeah, I think they're kind of laying the seeds that something's going on here and we're going to get down to the bottom of it. When they come into this palace, mm-hmm. do they enter the palace unopposed? Are they welcomed with open arms? Oh, there's no one there. So my question is, are they, back to what you guys are saying, is like maybe there's something this portends to not <laughs> a positive outcome for us. Are we laying the possibility in the viewer's mind that this is a trap and they're walking headlong into it? Oh, absolutely. I think so too, especially, okay, so I'm going to change I'm tone here a little bit so you don't have to throw your, your, your bourbon at me. No, I'm, I'm on your side for a minute. Um, <laughs> uh, do you hear him just, oh, Jesus, Matt, or whatever you said earlier. So This scolded. is why we need Mark here to kind of diffuse the tension. Adjudicate the debate. Oh, yeah. that's <laughs> If we've set up in the opening scene, I'm going to, devil's advocate myself here a little bit. Oh, yeah, go ahead. It's okay. And it's poison. Yeah. Then what they're consuming here, the rest of the film, poison is in play. Mm-hmm. And I'll even back that up. If we go back to the monkey, which was another version of cute in the original, but not done as a kid. Oh, with the dates. And the dates. Mm-hmm. What you eat in Indiana Jones, in any Indiana Jones film, <laughs> yeah. at your own peril. Yeah, exactly. Don't consume shit, man. Like, drink the water in your canteen, and that's about it. <laughs> you have some granola, maybe that's a good idea. That's pretty from, good. From your mom's pantry. Yeah. Um, Give me that trail mix. <laughs> or granola from, uh, never mind, I was going to say from Willie's pantry, but that's G, this is a G-rated show. I forgot. Um, <laughs> this is not a G-rated show. It's not. We did Boogie Nights, man. PG-13. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, sitting down at this dinner table and consuming these very interesting cuisines poses, do I tell them no? Because you're going to be disrespectful disrespectful and yeah. embarrass me? Or do I put that away and in this other culture, not wanting to piss the people off because they've got a whole army of guys with huge swords just starting here that I don't want to piss off this nine-year-old leader. Well, he's and he's kind <laughs> so of- So maybe I should just- Give it hell. And Just he's kinda, go along And he's kind of like a detective. He's trying to do it covert. He's trying to weed through these questions on what he's really doing there. You know what I mean? Like, Indy, like, we heard of you uh, back back here. They said, uh, uh, I have a little thing here. All vulnerable, vicious rumors. I seem to remember that in Honduras, you were accused of being a grave robber rather than an archaeologist. Well, the newspapers greatly exaggerated the incident. And wasn't it the Sultan of Madagascar who threatened to cut your head off if you ever returned to his country? No, it wasn't my head. Then your hands, perhaps. No, it wasn't my hands. It was my... My misunderstanding. It's my penis. <laughs> <laughs> my misunderstanding. But that, e- that's classic. Even in that, I always kind of feel like, I was like, Indy doesn't want to just flat out say, I'm here for the Shankara Stone, so to speak. He's got to kind of be like a little coy about it and kind of go about it in a mysterious fashion. But even in that, we kind of learn... Man, Indy's not a good guy. He's been accused of grave robbing. He's not an archaeologist. He's in it for different pursuits. I, I I like that aspect of it. He has a global reputation. You know, that's interesting. That's, that's interesting. Young yeah. Indy. I have like seven books on the bookshelf over there of Young Indy, of a bunch of films they could make that they just never did because we went to the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, or we just never recast the actor. Uh, but I like this. I mean, Indy's I think a little more layered in this one than than I ever gave him credit for. That's fair. Yeah. To the writing, this is a good moment too because dinner table exposition dump scenes are a big no-no. So you know how you get around that? Mm-hmm. Serve really interesting food so you can't wait till what's unveiled next. Yeah. And they do a good job of that like four or five times here. Yeah. So while we're going through his misunderstanding and 
this conversation about where the Shankara stones are, we're also watching Willie in short struggle with what the next item on the menu is. So it's working in two fronts. It's exposition, but it's also an interesting way to see it and hear it at the same time. Question. If you had to eat any of what was served to them at dinner, what would it be? You have uh, to pick one. Jesus. I think I'm going soup. soup? No, I think, no, I can't <laughs> I, eat those eyeballs. I, I think I would go soup. I think I would go the spider what, beetle oyster, oyster thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the beetle, whatever that is. I think was. it was yeah. a beetle. Yeah, I'll go that. That's me too. You? Oh, Mark's eating yeah, eyeballs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think the soup is the only thing I could probably. I, you I can't, you it's can't. nice and like slick, so it'll go down real easy. You have to fight it. <sighs> You can't just drink the broth. You got to eat the eyes yeah, too. Yeah, I know that's going to be hard, but it's all going to be difficult. But I'm going to stick with soup. Okay. <laughs> so we kind of get on with it. We there's something to miss here. These guys they're, they're going to eat only fruit for dinner. And that apple has always looked so good that Harrison like just munches into. Like I've always just wanted. Like I love a good green apple. I'll just say that right now. Uh, and there's kind of some this interplay of her just like this is the part I'm like get on with it like th- she's the love interest we know they're gonna kind of get together we want to get to the mysteries of the palace and to me this is one of the most interesting aspects of the film so when he goes back and that guy's like in the mural I've o- I always try to like do I see the guy and mm-hmm. he kind of just like appears it's kind of crazy uh, when they're fisticuffsing there Harrison does like a weird kind of like tuck and roll and like the guy flips him over the thing. Harrison Ford rup, uh, rup, uh, ruptured us, uh, herniated one of his spinal discs doing that exact stunt. Was that when he was like out for like six weeks? Doing yes. Shooting or something like and that? And yeah. while they did, they had like a hospital bed for him off to the side. And everyone just says he was in about as much pain as you possibly could be. He couldn't even stand up, but he, when it was time to shoot, he would shoot. Like you can't even tell like if he's like, he was like hurt at any aspect in this film. Like to him, I just got to raise it. He hates the spotlight, but the man's a trooper. They dropped a, a, the door on him for The Forced Awakens and broke his femur. Yeah. Came back and was ready to finish the film out. Look, that's impressive. That's happened to me before. Ooh, I've done that. Yikes. To, there's no movement, man. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that they probably had him medicated enough to where he could get through it. But even with that, I was on some pretty good stuff too. It did not matter. Not, your limbs don't function. Yeah. And when they do... You're not even remotely straight. So take what happens in that scene because we're going to see him sand shirt in a little while. Ooh. And I'm telling people because I live it sometimes. I'll be crooked. Mm-hmm. Like on a good day, there's still days where I'm crooked and not from like scoliosis, just from like back disc issues. And if you look at that, now he's younger than I am certainly in that. Yeah. But either he got over it real well or they hit it really well because when he comes onto the camera and he's sand shirt, he's nice and straight and not twisted, shouldered. So it's pretty cut to yeah. him. No, I he looks good in this. Th- yeah, no, to him to like just good for him because uh, any other actor would probably shut the production down. And this film comes out in eighty five, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but to him, just being a trooper, I mean, I mean th- th- that sounds awful. Like it sounds pretty terrible. So oh, I don't wish that on anyone. Oof. God. No, that's there's terrible. no pain like back pain to, right. to, yeah. to back health. Yeah. Okay, Cheers. again, <laughs> Cheers again. more bourbon. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, Mark. No, no worries. So we, we get covered some ground so far tonight, haven't we? Yeah. we are. No, this is good. This is good because we we, we got we to get into the weeds with this thing because one thing Indiana Jones has always been good about is establishing us to be afraid of something. And Crystal Scroll ruins this with ants. And we get the snakes in the last one. We get the rats in Last Crusade. Here, we get this, like, hallway of 
roaches mm-hmm. and bugs and for like the first time on the podcast where they grow the food <laughs> oh my god do you guys have this like phobia of roaches Roaches don't bother me too much, but man, there's some centipedes and some freaky shit in this room that I don't want any part of. But this, Matt, this like, this kills me. This reminds me of the Indiana Jones ride when they're short round and Indy are stuck in the spikes room. Mm -hmm. You can do it. You can do it. Feel inside. You feel inside. Do it now. Spikes coming down. We are going to die. To Willie Scott and Kate Capshaw's credit, I'm sure that was a stunt double or someone with a wig on. But at one point, a centipede slurps around her shoulder and goes underneath her hair. Yeah, yeah. Make me drink the Kali blood and whip me 10 times. I do not want the centipede crawling up my hair. Good God. That's <laughs> creepier than all those vampire bats they saw on the way to oh, the God. palace. Those yeah, things, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that, yeah, there's something creepy about centipedes. I don't know. And to Willie's credit, I mean, she saves the day in this regard. I mean, she's pretty worthless for a lot of this film. But in this one, she they're going to get, like, impaled here. This is classic cliffhanger uh, this happened in Flash Gordon and it happened in Batman. It's the spike room, but it, it reminds me of the Disney ride. Don't you feel like this film, maybe more than any of the others in the franchise, inspired the ride at Disneyland? Oh, yeah, for sure. The minecart and all that. That's so weird that you mentioned Flash Gordon, too, because when she put her hand through the little tunnel to find the lever, yeah. I was thinking Timothy Dalton and Flash Gordon oh, as yeah. well, when he's got to put his hand in that tree stump thing. Mm-hmm. So, and this is classic booby-trapped temple indie. Mm-hmm. Right. This is the opening scene of the movie for me. Yeah. This is what this movie needs to open with. It doesn't, obviously, but this is where the film should have started for me. As far as not this point in the movie, just this is the opening. You know what my favorite part of the booby trap is? Is okay, we open the door, he's pissed. Short round's like, oh, I'm oh. getting out of here. Yeah. And then Willie, like, her ass, like, turns it on again. So they have you mean to. The director or the switch? <laughs> what do you mean? Both. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> The room closes up. The spikes are coming down. So, through kind of the just the mechanism of the story, the only way forward, uh, the only way out is forward. Mm-hmm. So, whatever's waiting for us is the only way to get out. Let's hope there's a way out. I like that. You know, what I mean, it's like it's going to be the darkest shit in here. So then we finally get to the. I always kind of like, what is the Temple of Doom? It's this set, right? It's this yeah. this scene with the fire pit and the sacrificing of the guy. Now, whenever I mention Temple of Doom to people, they're like, oh, is that the one where the guy gets his heart ripped out of his chest? Like, how does that play for you? Is that still effective? Is It's obviously a little goofy effect, but that's something. I mean, this guy gets his heart ripped out, and then he's still alive. And Malaram, I mean, with his goat head mask, cackling like a Scooby-Doo villain here, like, is pretty effective. Feels religious, right? Yeah. Um, Ooh, yeah. With a supernatural Black mass-esque. Yeah, this to me is we have come on some East Indian religious sect that has found the key to bringing about whatever the hell that statue is that the Shankara stones become the eyes and the nose in and with the right sacrifice. Like it's all around that, right? Sacrifice, ritual, 
hearts, fire, um, festive, <laughs> traditional headwear, uh, the priest, um, the response from the people in the congregation with movement X, Y, or Z. And we all know about that in our Catholic school days, Jesse. Kali Ma, Shakti Day. Right. (laughs) Lowering into, look, I mean, you can't help but watch them descend in this cage into this fiery pit, like draw some corollary between that and hell. Absolutely. Here's what I don't understand. Mm. And this is what what I I kept thinking, like, there has to be something here. The wine or whatever they drink. Oh, the like the whatever that the zombie the zombie juice yeah the zombie juice <laughs> is it blood or I thought it was yeah whatever it is blood liquid whatever that is is that something that gives hallucinogenic properties mm. to everyone because ripping that man's heart out and watching his chest mm. close up on its own out. makes no sense because he's still alive oh, yeah. and why would you do that to then burn him just leave it in there and burn him I now think I get it, the shock I think you're right I think it is maybe hallucinogenic. Okay, so if that's the case, then we're getting, again, more of that unbalance for me. Like, we're finally in in the place where this movie's going to really finish up. And this is what I also thought, too. Once we get in the Temple of Doom, mm-hmm. we don't leave. Yeah. The last half of the film, save the last 10 minutes on the bridge, which is kind of, that kind of, that bit's kind of fun. Yeah. I had it in my mind that he left and was captured upon leaving, and they had to come back and rescue him. No, he they stay in there. Yeah, we're in there. And there's some good and bad, and I'm going to talk about some of that later. But to your question, does it work? It's, I mean, it's silly to, art, to say that in 2021 because it's way easier to shoot that now. The answer today is not really. Mm-hmm. But back then, yes. Do you think more? Mal- that was a pretty good scene back then. Yeah, for oh, sure. Yeah, I remember. That was do you think, memorable. Do you think Malaram's uh, kind of an effective antagonist? I mean, we'll talk about uh, what their goals are here in a little bit, but like th- that moment, that shot of him when he has the heart and it bursts into flame, and he's like, <laughs> "Like we're like in like kind of a bad guy." Yeah, we're like in the haunted mansion now. Like yeah, it's kind of fun, but it's kind of macabre at the same time. That's I mean, super dark. All these guys, all these guys are drinking the Kool Aid, man. This is like Jim Jones yeah. Central here, yeah. and I kind of like that. This cult like atmosphere. So Indy goes down. He sees the stones there. Hey, man, they're they're And ba- the worst plan ever, Indy. Oh, they've gone now. Let me just sneak on down and grab these stones. Like, <laughs> how about a little strategy, buddy? Just a touch. Jesus. As in to wait a little bit longer? Yes. Or? Nightfall, a couple hours, let them leave. It's just, oh, they finished. I think they're around the corner. I'm going to go. Yeah. Come on, man. But, but here's the moment I was talking about. I mean, we talked about Indy being like fortune and glory. I'm going to get these stones. Maybe I'll give the one back to the village. Worry about your children later. I'm going to take these two. I'm cashing in, man. I mean, I'm buying me a new... What are people driving at this time? It's not a Model T, but I'm buying me a new something. Wing in the library. <laughs> there ancient you, scriptures. There you go. And then this happens. Indy's ready to bail. He's got what he came for. He's ready to go to the exit. And then he hears that. And I think, you know, all of us, I think we're pretty good natured people. 
we'd probably go investigate too. I'm like, man, some children are in danger. And what kills me is those husks on the kind of the, the, the illuminated like mm-hmm. skin shards that are there. Oh, oh God. Yeah. Obviously I think kids, I mean, okay, now we're, now we're dark, but I think this is some interesting growth for the character we've established. I'm in it for the fortune and glory, man, but I can't, Ignore what I just heard, so to speak. I mean, it's a subtle moment of, I must do something about that. And this, this, we didn't get that in Raiders. I mean, he's pretty by the book in Raiders. Again, Raiders is a perfect film. But I think we get more with this character in this entry. What do you guys think? Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, it's much more complex, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and, and maybe less predictable in that regard. you know, does he, does he, does he have a few situations where he's acting a little bit out of character, which maybe he didn't do in the first movie? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely, definitely a, definitely at a different level and much more complex. And, 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 and the whole movie has that whole, that whole darker feel to it. Maybe this is a part of it too. I don't know. Maybe this is a better question to ask when you've established such an iconic character in his first bourbon's getting to me <laughs> in such a prior iteration do you want like just more of that or do you kind of want to see him grow so to speak and my example to that would be michael corleone in the godfather part one to part two i mean talk about apples and oranges i mean sure. we see the rise and the considerable fall with his like my argument would be like i kind of want to see the same character but go through some different trials, so to speak. And I think we get that with this. But, but this is a prequel though, right? So yeah, and I think, he's still developing as a character. And I think that's why they're, they're kind of able to get away with it a little bit. If he doesn't investigate the cries of those child, then obviously the oh story God. doesn't go forward and he's no, not yeah, redeemable. Absolutely. So yeah. it's smart and it serves a couple purposes. Mm-hmm. The reason I asked you all earlier, if it felt like his welcoming to the palace and his ability to just enter it unabated felt like a trap is who's a better sacrificial lamb for this cult Willie or Indy it's obviously Indy because if we sacrifice this character that has this legacy of conquering civilizations and booby trapped this and all of these things then it shows that our sect wasn't just a monumental or non-monumental moment in history. It had staying power because we undid the guy, the detective that figured all this out. Or would you want that guy on your side? Or do Drink, you want... the Kool-Aid, yeah. <laughs> give me, give or do you want short round? Because what they're clearly setting up is the antagonistic relationship between him and the other little boy. And I don't think we ever get that kid's name. The Maharaja? We, we don't ever, he's just called the Maharaja. Yeah. I thought that was a girl for the longest time. I'm just <laughs> might have been. I what, it might no, have been. it's a boy. <laughs> so I'm not sure if I even answered the question that you brought up, but my of the three, mm-hmm. <laughs> Willie's the least consequential. And when Indy goes down and grabs the stones, it almost feels like they allow him to do it because they go back to the balcony or the alcove or whatever that is, and they're waiting for the rest of them there. Yeah. It, it, they're, they're clearly outwitted in this and have been duped into this very easy theft oh, that goes awry. Isn't that a little bit of hubris, though, on Indy's part? Oh, fine, sure. Maybe. 
All the more reason for Mola Ram to exercise his dominance and not his misunderstanding, if we're comparing misunderstandings. Right, I can see it both ways. I mean, I could see them like. Can you can you see them wanting to sacrifice Willie? Well, I can see them wanting to sacrifice Indy to get rid of a formidable opponent, but I can also see them to sacrifice. Hey, man, this guy like snuck in here and like we like, and let's get him on our side. Let's brainwash him and let's get him on the let's get him on the thuggy side. Okay, when you sacrifice someone, I think it goes one of two routes. It goes the blood of the innocent, which would include virginal, mm-hmm. or. Um, the dominant species. Willie is clearly not the blood of the innocent. Well, and no, the movie has proven that. Well, then maybe Willie's working in the mines with the kids and we're sacrificing short round, but then this movie's pretty off-putting. We're lowering... Well, no, because they're going to rescue him anyway. Well, I know they'll rescue him, but like, do you want to see like this little kid being dropped it i don't know i don't it's like maybe but again it goes back to my that, big that's issue too dark i think for for this time for 1984 yeah maybe uh, i was gonna say maybe now but the like. consequence <laughs> of this no i know i don't know <laughs> i mean i think the point you bring up with molaram seducing indy to the dark side harkens to the character that i think the molaram should be can i can you give me a couple minutes here because i want to do this real quick <laughs> go ahead okay <laughs> One of the things that Indiana Jones and all of these adventures present and has failed twice and I think succeeded twice is a look into the artifacts of civilizations that me, that we might not know about and what they mean. Yeah. It's a snapshot into history. Like why they never went after the Rosetta Stone is beyond me. Why they chose aliens I is mean, they, questionable. They could. I mean, but, right. Mm-hmm. There's pl- and there's plenty of ways to go with that. Mm-hmm. What the Molar Ram should be is Rasputin. That's who this should be. If we're looking back at ancient villains that seduce the hierarchy of leadership into the dark side, he should be tailored after Rasputin. And his protege I mean, should fine, be the, the Maharaji. Instead, he's just this sort of nondescript fellow that's kind of working in conjunction with this kid to sort of enslave these other ones through the drinking of this juice that turns you into a zombie, blah, 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 blah. It didn't have to be that complex. Just make this simple decision. And you don't have to make him Rasputin, but build the the goals or the motivations of that character in something that has ties that's established and already works because as much as I like the Mola Raman, he's terrifying and the ripping the heart out is like, that's obviously a very powerful person and he's burning these people. The first person that he lowers into the pit is just like servant guy. It's just to show the audience and you need to do this, well, how were, powerful they, they can be. And we got to show the pit. Okay. That's yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fair. But the stakes up from that is not Willie. I get that he needs to save the damsel in despair. Yeah, like, that, I get that. Oh, that's why it's there. That's, man, right, that's, yeah, that's, that's weak, that's, though, man. Like, why not put her on train tracks then? That's I, weak. I don't know. I that's mean, weak. That's the film. That's weak. Like, if you're going to be kitschy and on the nose, then go ahead and be all the way. And don't do fucking zombie juice and diamonds in these Shankara stones that catch on fire when they're in proximity. Like, it's just all over the place. And I, I have to say this finally. Why we create this great elaborate chase sequence and the geographical space of about 200 square feet in the temple is beyond me. What do you mean? When we are 
on that conveyor belt that has the rock crusher and then Willie and short rounder underneath him. Oh. We are in a space that's about the size of this office for 20 minutes. And it reminded me it's of not that small. Okay. It's not, but it's very small. It's, it feels so stage set. That's like the, sound set. Well, that's because it was, it plays bad for me. Like but that, think, that plays bad. For I me. think it looks good because, because there is no geography. This temple is almost like labyrinth. Like to me, I don't know where the There's entrance is. Yeah. I don't know Let's where to see it. Right. I don't know where the entrance is. I don't know where the exit is. I mean, I may as well be drinking the Kali blood as well, because I am tripping out in, in this aspect as well. But like, uh, I want to ask you, Mark, uh, cause Matt gave his thoughts on Molarama's the antagonist. Does he work for you? How, how does this character, you know, he, he, you know, he had a, he, he certainly had an evil side to him, a supernatural side to him. Um, it was, it was, it was a interesting character from that perspective. I kind of, I start thinking about like the the Az, ancient Aztec rituals mm. with the removing of the heart, good and point, the, yeah, the Vestal Virgin or whatever sacrifice and things like that. It had a little bit of that uh, for me. Um, <coughs> excuse me, no, you're good. <clears throat> what what I didn't understand is like, okay, so what's his role here? You know, I think maybe that's to your point, Matt It's like, he's high priest. He's, he's he came across as that. Cause yeah. he's got wearing the goat head skull, mm -hmm. whatever thing. Yeah. But, um, they, 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 they just didn't like unfold enough of the story there about what his, what his, you know, what his, what, what is his purpose versus the Maharaja, right? You know, who, who's really in charge or is, is, is is the evil guy the the Mularam, Is he the one who's running this whole coat? Oh, I think I think the so. Maharaja's under a spell. I think we figured that out later. Well, right? here, here's just my assumption on just like what the hell's going on here. That the Maharaja's the financier. Mularam's like knows the religion, right? And he they're kind of the ancient. He knows the ancient practices. practices yeah, yeah. The, the, as they establish in that the dinner scene that the thuggy was some ancient cult thing that is long since passed, and it's nothing you need to worry about for right a century. now. <laughs> yeah, for a century. But they're the thuggy are are well here. To me, Malaram works. Look, he's no Belloc. I mean, Belloc was the minion of Adolf Hitler. I mean, you can't get as evil or creepy as that. But to me, he just needs to be a formidable thing while we're at operations here in the temple. It's not a home run, Matt. Or, or Mark, I mean, yeah, so no, to no, speak. It, it, it works. In it's the, not a home run. No, no, in the yeah. scenes that he is, I mean, I, like, I've always, maybe it's just the, like the paintings. He on never his, speaks, on right? Did he ever say anything? Well, he says, Kuta rete de karima. I mean, oh. he's, he's doing all that shit. Uh, but to me, he, he, he's enough of an antagonist to like, well, we're doing stuff here in the temple. But let's get to, let's get to the Kali blood sequence because as a kid, I mean, I mm -hmm. came to this as a kid. And I had to think long and hard, Matt, I may have seen this movie maybe 40 times, <laughs> maybe more. I mean, I've seen Temple of Doom a lot. I mean, it was, it was in heavy rotation in my youth. This scene tripped me out every time. I was just like, man, your hero is like getting whipped, tied up, being forced to drink the, the goo blood. And man, you thought waiting 15 minutes for your COVID vaccine side effects to kick in was bad. Spend 15 minutes in the candle room to wait for the Kali blood to take effect. That was always the, 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 the crate. That's going to be my, Oh my God. Uh, spoiler alert. Indy in that tomb recollecting. And now it's like evil Indy and he's like all fucked up. Like that really kind of messed me up as a kid. Okay. So, we agree on this. Okay. As a kid, that bothered me too, and especially the way they force it down him. Mm. And then he spits it out, and he's, you know, if you drink that, Indy, it is curtains, and he's doing everything he possibly can to not drink it, 
Short rounds cheering him on, but spin everything out, in the spin. world is working against him. It's terrifying, and it's now it's uh, what's well, torturous. Mm-hmm. And when they get it in him the second time, and then pinch his nostrils and slam his mouth shut, and there's nowhere for it to go now. After he's been whipped about five times, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that scene to the dark bit that you all are talking about. Like I haven't agreed with most of that dark bit you all are talking about mm-hmm. until right now. Like to me, it's too comedic and too kitschy to be like true dark. And I let's not get into that. But yeah. okay, but I'm with you now. This is a pretty dark moment, and his son, short round, yeah. is having to watch and getting whipped himself too, and has been warned about what's going to happen if you consume it. You turn into this zombie little child labor minor guy. <laughs> Right? I mean, talk about a sweatshop, yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally. But talking about taking our hero and breaking him down yeah. to his lowest point in the film, I yeah. mean, he's supposed to be the one we idolize. And, and when he awakens in that room and he's like, <laughs> like I'm like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. like we need Indy back. Yeah. So like, kind of a thing. What do you think, Mark? Like, what did you think of this sequence? Oh, no, it, it, I agree with everything you guys have said. Um, yeah, it it, 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 took, it took on a different level of darkness for me and, in that part, but it was very effective. Um, I mean, it was, you know, it, it was, I was glued to the screen, right? You know, mm-hmm. oh my God, you know, he's one of them now, what's going to happen, you know? Uh, and Which I think was effective, effective screenwriting. Because if Indy's gone over the dark side, short round and yeah. really have no, no one has a shot. Yeah, no one it's has over. a shot, yeah. The thuggy in this scene, they mentioned that, you know, their plan is to kind of overthrow kind of like religions, uh, so to speak. I don't mean how did they spell thuggy? T h u g g i e. T h u g e e. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, I think this is an interesting goal for them. I like how they're starting out small. I mean, they're like they're barely they're tipping their toe into the pool with this kind of world conquering scheme. First, we're gonna do this. Then we're gonna do this. Then Roman Catholicism. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's an admirable goal, um, but we're seeing it in its infancy. I, it almost seems like they're barely getting the wheels churning on this cult-like thuggy atmosphere. And to me, that's enough. You know what I mean? I don't need to see them conquer the world with thuggy religion. I mean, within this temple, sure. Uh, so is that is that good enough for an antagonist goal? I mean, I mean, Hitler in the last one was trying to get the Ark to take over the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it works. He wants power. Yeah. yeah. That's a pretty common bad guy plan. Mm-hmm. And we're not going about it by destroying everything to get there. So hey, all, all that works. Hey, to that. I mean, I mean, right, no. it, it ain't Ultron dropping a piece of land on the earth to kill, to rule over nothing. Right. <laughs> and we bitch about that every week, oh, right? I feel, so, like, I feel like I do. We do, because it's a common problem with most villains. Mm-hmm. So that part of it is working. And if you win over or seduce over the youth then there's no hope going forward because the youth grows up. And if they grow up, well, look, they've been Zombies indoctrinated. Or whatever, in, yeah. Indoctrinated. So yeah. you are breaking it down at its most base level. And again, to the horror and dark element, anytime you start messing around with the innocence of youth, you take it to a dark level, right? That's fair. And so this Molar Rom character, although I think we have different versions of kind of what his goals are and maybe different how effective he might be. Yeah. He's clearly a bad dude. I mean, there's no doubt that this is a terrible person. So in that sense, he is formidable and worthwhile for Indy because Indy in his own right is also worthwhile and formidable. Yeah. Let's be frank about it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's still pretty grounded. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a apt 
foil for Indy. They match each other's skill sets in a different way, but equally. What do you think of this next sequence? Because this, to, to your point, no, that, you sort of see that right when he mm-hmm. goes to rip his heart out, he's able to stop him. Yeah, yeah, you know, there is oh, sort perfect, of perfect, right? Yeah, sort of a standoff, right? Oh, on the bridge. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah, I, I, I love, I love that. Part. Yeah. Okay, we'll get, we'll get to it. We're not. Gonna, we got to get Willie out of the out of the pit of doom first, uh, and we got to get Indy back to the good side, right. and and that's done through the short round. I mean, to have the 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 wherewithal to escape first of all, and then try to like make do on, uh, on the good here. I've always tripped out and always cracked up at like Willie's being lowered into this pit. And then Indy comes back from his coherence. Thanks to short round. And then they're doing some nice fisty cuffs and they got to save the day and they're pulling Willie back up, but then she's going back down and then they're pulling her back. She's just going back down, like back and forth. Like, like, I don't know whether I like it or it's just crazy, but like, Man, it reminds me of the Keystone Cops sort of early episode, the opening scene, right? Yeah. It's a little bit, okay, okay that's enough of that. <laughs> Yo-yoing the action. Right? Yeah. Can we talk about how Molaram escapes real quick? Because this was always my favorite part as a kid was, he's like, Molaram, and he has the spike, and Molaram like, he like slides goes into, into the ground. <laughs> he's like sliding into some trap door or something, right? Or, <laughs> exactly, and it's green in there. What does that room look like? <laughs> I'm like, oh, that was, I, I rewound. The disco. That part of my VHS tape is probably unwatchable because I rewound that so much as a child. So <laughs> I was just like, where did he go? I mean, I like, that's like, that's like a sideshow act. I mean, this is, is this a haunted house? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of like got some like, uh, uh, it was hidden passageways and I want to say turn of phrase. That's not a slate of hand, so to speak, yeah. is kind of what the temple of doom is to me. Uh, but we kind of reconnect, you know, we get Indy back, but Indy's kind of found himself and we got to get the kids out. I mean, like they're whipping them. They got, they got them churning for rocks because they're looking for two more stones. Mm-hmm. Are those like those infinity stones and the, the Avengers. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Bring all the infinity stones five, and what? what five of them? Weren't there five of them? Wait, what? Infinity, yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> but bring together these five Shankaras and yeah, something terrible yeah. is going to happen. So well, we, with three, they're already glowing and you know, Doing Bad things are happening. So what happens when you get fall five? Do you remember uh, the Billy Zane uh, Phantom film? Where they had to get the three skulls and then like treat Williams with had like like a skull laser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you remember that? That reminds me of that. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the Phantom Billy Zane? I don't think so. No, oh, we're gonna we're kind gonna, of good B movie. Yeah, is it? Yeah, kind of Indiana Jonesy in its own right too. Oh, so yeah. maybe. oh, you know, you just put a bug in my ear. You know, it'd be a fun cask. All those '90s superheroes they tried to make it like Darkman and. The shadow. <laughs> I was going to say that the shadow and Dick Tracy. Boom, boom. boom. Oh my god! Wouldn't yes. that be good? Oh my god! I love Dick Tracy. You know how colorful that would be. Oh man, that'd be fun, Justin. We would come out of that uh, Technicolor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Okay, so we got the team back, uh, but now we're in this area that Matt said was about the size of my office, which is that's not true at all. But this is this is kind of a nice. Do you like this fight on the conveyor belt? I mean, this is again, it's this rising roller coaster act cliffhanger action. Indy's not going to make it. He's got a voodoo doll spike in his back. He's about to be crushed by this thing. Like, what What are we going to do here? It's like, it's it's all about like taking him to about as low as it could possibly can and then bringing it back at, at the next second. So Indy gets out of this thing once Short Round puts a sharp right elbow into the Maharaja, pulls the 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 spear out of the, or the, the dagger out of the voodoo, and then Indy takes of saw and then throws it into this guy's torso. You know how much that would hurt. Oh yeah. <laughs> is the Maharaja 
under the influence of that blood. Oh, absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. So the blow that short round gives him with the elbow oh, snaps he, him out. No, right? he burns him with the torch. Oh, that's right. I forgot yeah, about yeah. the part. Okay. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's drinking the Kool-Aid too, but I, the, that, the thuggy guy on the conveyor belt, man, he gets it bad. I mean, he takes the, the, the saw to the stomach, a couple of buckets to the ribs and then gets smushed to a gravy. I mean, it's just, this is something Spielberg's always been good at. I mean, he, doesn't want to give us the super graphic violence, but just the blood. Just the red stripe that just, rolls around. That's yeah. enough. That would, Oh, yeah. You know exactly what happened. The propeller and the strong man in yep. Raiders of the Lost yeah, Ark. Yeah, right? the, same, the same thing. Yep. Yeah. That also is a nice moment because I think you're recognizing, or Steven Spielberg is recognizing, what worked in his first film. I don't have to give it to you, really give it, give it to you. The hint of this is it sprays across the wing of the plane or wherever we see it in the first film, and then just the the batter <laughs> on the wheel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's the it's that film's version. It's this film's version of that moment yeah. exactly. Yeah. So now we we got to get out of this temple. I mean, crazy stuff's happening. We got the kids out finally, and I always that scene of the kids leaving the palace, and they like do this thing with like, they haven't seen sunlight in God knows when. So like when they come out, I mean, great direction by Spielberg to say like, you got to come out looking like you haven't seen sunlight in probably about like three or four months. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so they do, but now we get to a pretty, I think interesting sequence here. I think fairly exciting. This minecart chase, which was actually supposed to be in Raiders of the Lost Ark. At what point in the film? I have no idea. Yeah. I but, was wondering about that too. I read that somewhere. Did yeah. you read that? Yeah. yeah. I don't know where that's going in that film. I'm glad it's in this one because, I mean, 20, what year is it? 2020? <laughs> 2021 be damned in CGI. There was some real technical craft that went into making that with stop motion, scale models, and puppets in there. It looks pretty decent. I mean, for like what it is, I mean, it gets pretty ridiculous when they jump the track and then land on the other track, but... This mostly works for me. I mean, there's a lot of technical prowess of scale models and map paintings to make this look bigger than it ever really was. It was probably as big as this table. I'll give you that. <laughs> we love a chase sequence, don't we? Oh, yeah. So give me a cool way to watch a chase sequence. Mm -hmm. And what better way than giving the kid the brakes and making sure that he slows down when he doesn't even know how to drive around the curve so they don't fly right off as these bad guys behind have guns and are chasing. Yeah, yeah good stuff here. It was an exciting part of the film, I thought. Um, and plus, it's going to end up to be a nice roller coaster at Disney at some point, right? Yeah. <laughs> you no, know, exactly. I feel like someone saw, hey, do you remember the minecart in Temple of Doom? We need that in a ride. And they exactly. And they kind of did it. I mean, I mean, it's 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 just the sequence. Uh, I always get tripped out about the the guy that gets punched and then the cart hits him and then the cart goes flying into like wherever that was going to go. And then like, what's the mine cart for? I mean, I, I'm, I'm always so intrigued about like, what was this cave system prior to this thuggy infestation? I mean, there was something going on here or what their plans are for this thing. I mean, some, uh, just the thugging, the thug, I want more info on the thuggy mining operation. Maybe that's in the novelization. That's the other thing, too. If you guys have never read novelizations of films, like the author of those things gets liberty to just do whatever they want with the story. And sometimes they expand on like these things that we have questions about. Like they just give you answers oh, to the unanswerable. Yeah, uh, I've, ne I've never read this version, but like I've read some other uh, like Halloween novelizations and some of the Batman films. 
real quickly, this is such an anecdote, but I read the novelization for the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Matt, you're going to love this. I read mm-hmm. this like probably about two months before the film came out. And then I went and saw the movie and I was like, that didn't happen the way or, or that didn't in my mind. It happened a certain way because I had to visualize what the book looked like. And then when I saw the movie, I was like, wow, I was way off. <laughs> <laughs> like it did, well, I wasn't even close. That whole the, the the tram cars and the goblin shit. Like I was like way off in that regard. Mm. But so the the the, the mine cart mostly works for you guys. It's it's pretty good. Oh yeah, no, that was a, 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 I thought that was an exciting part of the film. I feel like they have to work harder to like make these things look good back then than they do now. I mean, now we've established. I mean, Matt and I have been just been like on a tear of like CGI and things looking synthetic and fake for weeks. It seems like, uh, you know, a lot of the f- bad films we've talked about this year. Uh, but like, there's something about the craft of like we didn't even talk about the matte paintings. I mean, Pankow Palace isn't real. Some guy drew that, and it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean. That scene when they walk up to the palace, I literally paused and I went up to the TV because you can kind of see the matte lines because it's not perfect. But they what they walk up and the the little pathway ends at a certain spot. The rest is all drawing. I, Hashtag bring back the matte painting. That, I mean, I, I love that stuff. I thought that was real. <laughs> Did you? Okay, yeah. you've been like, you've been really filled. yeah. That, that's that. My eyes are getting bad as I'm getting older, huh? No, that's <laughs> the magic of movies. Yeah. I mean, the mat the matte that's really well done. Worked yeah. for you, yeah. And and every exterior shot of Pankot Palace at night, or just all those surroundings. That ain't. I mean, someone drew that. I mean, that's kind of cooler than just like rendering that in a computer. I mean, I'm old school, but what do you guys think of that? I'm with you. My favorite ride at Disneyland is that Snow White Seven Dwarves Ooh. matte painting dark ride mm-hmm. with just the the art on the wall that someone in a paintbrush just went in there and did. I love it. So if you can make me work that hard to determine if it's actually the set or it's a painting, you've already won. Right? Yeah. That happens in Vertigo a little bit too, doesn't oh, it? Absolutely. There's some moments in Vertigo mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, how can you not appreciate the time and effort and the depth and the scale and the dimension that was drawn into those? Cause it, mm-hmm. it does work. And I, I feel like Spiel, really well done, Spielberg, yeah. especially, and there was a few Matt uh, scenes during the poltergeist thing that we did where you're just like, man, that's just like peak Spielberg. He's so good at doing this. Uh, but we finally get out of this mine cart, not we'll be chased out by water. Oh my gosh. We almost get blown, blown out into the river here. But and that was a whole lot of water coming from that big bucket. Yeah, it seemed like there was more water than the bucket probably held. But I don't know. That's just what went through my head. Yeah, that's the B movie sensibilities, and they're really into the whole cliffhanger aspect of these. They were so cheaply made those old cliffhanger films, the Dick Tracy's and Flash Gordon. They had no budget. I mean, that was that was probably this. If the musical was the top tier and then you have your David O'Selznicks, like your cliffhangers were bottom of the barrel. Like they, they made them in a week. Yeah. You had to turn one out every week to get people to come back. Cause you never move out of the second act. So you mm-hmm. can't put any money and like, you got to just keep turning and turning cardboard and turning. sets. I mean, yeah. and there, there's a charm to it. I mean, this isn't the place for it, but some of these serials are actually pretty good. The Dick Tracy ones specifically, I I'm a big fan of. So yeah. It kind of reminds me, I, I'm not as familiar with these these uh, mm-hmm. shows you're talking about. I mean, I know the names. Mm-hmm. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I never really watched them. But uh, have you guys ever watched like Doctor Who? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, talk about low budget. Yeah. But it works, right? It's a good story and, you know, it's fun. Absolutely. So here's something we didn't talk about, but something that a nice callback to the last film. So Indy's got to reunite with Short Round and Willie Scott. They're going out across the bridge. 
and he comes across two thuggy guys with some swords and he's like oh i'm just gonna like kill these guys so he goes for his gun and we get a nice call back to raiders of the lost ark when and they played the same music too that gun got lost when willie threw it out the window in the car I kind of appreciate this film a little bit more because Indy had to do this whole film when the easy solution in a lot of these situations would be to just shoot his way out. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't even have a gun to like, and he, it's almost like he didn't remember that until this moment. So he goes to it, fishes around and he's like, well shit. And so he's got to like, he's got to use other wits to himself, man. Indy makes archeology span look way more interesting than it ever really is. I mean, archeology's span grant writing. brushes and... <laughs> <laughs> and grant writing. Yeah, yeah grant, exactly. grant. It's really boring work. Grant I mean, <laughs> Indies. <laughs> that's exactly, that sucks. I, I got three toothbrushes. I'm going to brush the sand off this thing maybe, this, and then I'm going to go it. write a grant. I'm going I'm to brush this bone, write a grant, and maybe go to sleep. Maybe cross 40K annually in a year. Pray to God the government sees some value in this work that no one else does, because I can maybe have a piece in a museum someday. Hell yeah, you like to get that into... That sucks. No, Indy's getting into fisticuffs with some thuggy guys with some swords, and he's whipping sword. Oh, my God. I mean, like, to anybody that went into archaeology because they love these films, I feel bad for you. But but you better have clean teeth, man, because there's a lot of teeth brush in your immediate vicinity. Exactly. So doggone it. Excellent. Let's get to the bridge. It's the final set piece, big set piece of the film. Um, Kind of a stalemate. Malaram's kind of, like, cornered them off, and... Indy's stuck in the middle here, so what's he gonna do? He's gonna cut this bridge in half. I mean, this is a this is a great moment. Shout out to my mom because my mom's favorite line was he no nuts. He crazy. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 It was, it was hang on lady. We going for a ride. <laughs> she loved that. And to Indy's credit, I mean, we've established Indy as having a pretty interesting arc up to this point, uh, fortune and glory and not being as refined as Ra- the Raiders. Indy Indy's like, you know what? Malaram, fuck you wild card bitch like I, like i'm gonna meet you on uh, you're gonna meet me on my terms i'm just gonna cut this bridge in half and you i either die and the stones die and you're dying too motherfucker <laughs> like, yeah I, exactly think yeah. about that so we're not in your temple of doom mm-hmm. we're in a more archaeological setting that's more germane to what i'm good at so watch this little trick i'm gonna do with my leg or don't because you're watching this machete and watching your guy bad guys close on me mm-hmm. i want to make one final point here okay about this okay one more point about the inconsistency. Oh, yeah. As effect, I love, this is my favorite part of the film. Mm-hmm. This bit where it turns into ladder and the heart and all that. And they're climbing up. So good. So And they're falling. This is handled with what's available to the characters with expertise. Mm-hmm. And it all makes sense. And gravity and physics in so far as we would want them to kind of work and not ruin the story are in play here. A little bit of this, no. 
a significant amount of this was needed for the inflatable raft out of the airplane. Oh, absolutely. Like, I'm why not, couldn't they have gonna, gone like, okay, wait a minute, this it, is pretty more, good. It's more believable, right? Yes, yeah, it's as like, much okay. as it's not. It, it's, well, yeah, as much as it's crazy. But. So, so, right, that's the inconsistency because it's there yeah. and they are calling on it, clearly effectively using it, but not, consi- again, well, I not consistently. Uh, I'm not going to argue with you in, 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 in that one. I mean, that's, uh, we've established the raft is a bit of a, too overstepping the boundaries of realism. I mean, this, this works. I mean, this mm-hmm. is great. I mean, yeah. we're going to like hang on to this bridge now. And then the fisticuffs on the, on, on the bridge. I, I always appreciated that moment of they meet halfway through and then we do the heart moment. And he's like, coffee hot. And then he's like, he's like, Mother, I'm going to rip this guy's heart out or it's a hallucinogen. We don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Indy like gives himself a couple seconds but then they stomp on his feet. They send him down, and they both 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 fall off the, the 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 bridge here. I mean, this is great. I mean, this is Indiana Jones to me. Like, what do you guys think of this just final confrontation moment? Oh no, it's great. Again, it gets back to yeah, yeah, it's exaggerated, right? Uh, uh, maybe not quite over the top like some of the other scenes, but but it's believable, right? You know, you can kind of see. All right, you know, you know, he's getting the hand to hand kind of combat thing on the bridge is what happens. Um, it, it worked for me. If you take a horizontal horizontal bridge and cut it in half, leaving it adhered at one end, it becomes a ladder, mm-hmm. which is what this bridge does, which then gives you, although not easy, an out for the situation that you found yourself in. Now it's, struggling for hand placement and small in the confined space of rung struggle. All that's perfect. Cause while you're punching and he's ripping your chart, you got to hang on to something. Yeah. Or it, yeah, it or is just done, a little yeah. rope around your leg after all. I mean, that's not that secure. So the stakes are really well done. And this is the part of Indiana Jones that when they get it right is so, so good. Mm-hmm. Crazy environment huge stake and every little action just increases the conflict of the crisis. It's just rising, 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 rising until you have an ultimate winner and loser. Mm-hmm. And what a great way for Molaram to meet his, right? Yeah. Gobbled up. Gobbled up by the Gators. I mean, uh, I mean, his, his undoing was the hubris to get one of, I mean, we see the other stones just go into the river but then he grabs the one and like burns his hand because this power, this like unlimited power, uh, oh, is that a revenge of the Sith reference? Oh God. Oh my God. Uh, uh, is so almighty that it like, it, it's charring these stones. I mean, they're illuminated, they're burning and they burn a hole in Indy's little bag, his artifact bag that he grabs one, it burns him. And then he lets go. I mean, and then gets shot. Ch- yeah. What a great way to him to go. I mean, they, they chomp him, they roll on him. It's amazing. I love it. You see the clothing kind of in between. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so yeah. good. I mean, I don't want to see a gator really eat a man, but this is the next best thing. It's just crafted so well. Mm-hmm. Each little action creates a staircase effect for the viewer about what's in play now. Oh, my God. They've been hanging so long. The grip is slipping. Those stones are hot. Molarum's trying to rip his heart out. There's alligators below. It's just building, 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 building. And all of that goes to the cliffhanger thing that you were talking about. Like, literally, white knuckling on the, the edge of the your seat. The next version. I mean, this film's done it like 10 plus times already. I mean, they got that part down. They do. 
No question about it. Yeah, so we saved the day. He, but he saved the one stone, and it's it's the the three, the one with the three slashes. It's the one that belongs to the village. So he's exhausted. He's beat, but we can at least go back to the city. And I've always really liked this moment. I don't know what it is. It's so cute and kitschy, but the children reuniting with their parents. I mean, I kind of, I kind of like it. I mean. Their quality of life in this village isn't amazing. I mean, they're poor, malnourished. It doesn't look great. But this reunion scene is, I mean, I feel like the film earns it, so to speak. Yeah, no, I completely agree. You see the joy on everyone's faces, the children's faces, the adults' faces. Um, It's just a very happy moment and a great way to... You know what was and great? About, you know what was great about it this time too is like when Indy and them come to it, it's like dead, it's dying, it's been charred, it's in a terrible state, and when they come back, it's already in a state of like rejuvenation. They're growing crops, it's coming back to life. They're just missing the children, so to speak. Well said. Mm-hmm. But in man- a weird sense, <laughs> they still need a labor force, don't they? Yeah, exactly. And it's still going to be the children. Yeah, part of, part of that. Yeah, I mean. Again, I said the quality of life. I mean, it doesn't look heavy. Un- many hands make light work, indeed. But, but yeah, so at least it's... Well, at least they're above ground and not being whipped, right? Right, and it's for something that's sustainable and eatable, not like diamonds originally, which is what I think the mines are for, and then mm-hmm. movie to these supernatural stones, yep. which we didn't even get into, but okay. Are those real stones? I mean, we, we talked about, you know, the Rosetta Stone and these all these, the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, I mean whether that's real or not, I mean, depends on what you believe in. But are, do you know either of you off the top of the Shankar yeah, stones have like a? Uh, I've never heard of them. Before. Yeah, I don't think I have either. Yeah, that doesn't ring any bells. But again, I mean, they just made up something for this film. What they can derive from just from history, they can make thirty of these films. Oh, and you brought up the importance of religion. Most of the artifacts that they would be searching would be religious, whether it's the Shroud of Tamarind or the Dead Sea Scrolls or whatever it might be. All of those things have, and that's a bit Western in the um, non-secular way I'm sort of describing it, but there's, they all have that tie, which then automatically lends itself Mm -hmm. to the supernatural higher power, which is what is so good about it. I I believe that was our nightcap the last time we did, when we did Raiders, what's Indy going after next or what's something you would like to see him go after? I mean, you remember that really? That's, I I do. I mean, I mean, that was, uh, but that's such a great idea because it's endless really. I mean, it's the, it's El Dorado, it's Atlantis. I mean, so many different things he could get into, Yeah. but we wrap up, the film comes to a nice, cute kiss end and we get the elephant spray and it's, it, it ends happy as it should. Um, but we wrap up a couple things here and then I have some questions for you gentlemen. Uh, as we've stated between this and gremlins in the summer of 84, my, my God, the PTA must've just been losing their goddamn minds. Uh, they helped usher in PG 13 after this. And Spielberg was actually at the forefront. He was like, he's like, you know what? I like, I know I'm pushing the envelope. Maybe you guys, maybe because the MPAA, I don't know if you guys know this. I'm sure you do isn't a, a Hollywood sanctioned organization. It's, it's like its own independent thing. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird organization and it's made up of mostly like average Joe's like they don't have no industry ties. Right. Huh. So Spielberg was at the forefront saying PG's too tame. Sometimes ours too extreme for when we want to go there, we need an in-between. So he was actually helped to get that made and, arguably today I've made this argument before that PG 13 films like have more deaths than like our films. I mean, 
it's more fantastical, but like, man, people die in those Fast and the Furious and and Marvel films more than like Saving Private Ryan. Like Jesus, one f bomb, some side boob, <clears throat> and multiple deaths as long as you don't see all of them on screen. PG thirteen. Those, those, are, those are the is, rules. Is that, those are really the rules. Yeah, those are really yeah. Seriously, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You get one f bomb, but it can't be used. Fuck, can't be used in the derivative of like sex. Bro. Oh, it right. has to be like. Call, calling yeah. somebody. Yeah. yeah. So it now, get, noun, pronoun, or adjective. Yeah. No, that matters. It really does. Uh, okay. A couple things here. Uh, this, this, everyone was really looking forward to this. Even, you know, your little YMCA summer camp. The, I bet you were looking forward to Temple of Doom when it came out. Sure. $28 million budget, $333 million gross. I mean, this film <laughs> brought in some cash when it came out in the summer of 84. I mean, 84, Beverly Hills Cop. Ghostbusters, movie, yeah. Temple of Doom. I mean, I mean, we talked about eighty two a, a, a few weeks back. I mean, eighty four has got some good films as well. Mm-hmm. <coughs> what did uh, you say the total take was? Three hundred and thirty three million dollars. Twenty eight million dollar budget. Yep. Pretty decent. Cha-ching. My favorite part though is that uh, when Spielberg or when George Lucas initially pitched Steven Spielberg on the Indiana Jones thing, he says. Now, if you do one, Steven, you have to do three. It's a trilogy, and I have ideas for the rest. And when it came time to do this film, Spielberg discovered George didn't have ideas for the other two. Like, <laughs> And I was like, God, it's typical George Lucas. I mean, he didn't have the ideas for the Star Wars prequels either. I mean, he's just like constantly like having to come up with stuff at the last minute, and maybe that's why this comes out as kind of half-baked as it kind of did. Uh, it wasn't as thoroughly planned out. Uh it's a miracle that Empire Strikes Back is as amazing as it is because I feel like he didn't know where that was going. Yeah. He was just trying to get one film made first and then see where it went. But he didn't want to lose Steven. I mean, Steven Spielberg is the biggest director in Hollywood at this time. E.T. was the biggest film of the 80s. Mm-hmm. And after you know all his producing credits, I mean, he didn't want to lose... Uh, he wanted Steven Spielberg to make this film. And I'm, I'm kind of glad he did. I mean, it has part of his fingerprints on this thing. What's your guy's favorite tasting note, favorite scene of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? Oh, God. Do you, do you, can I think about it for a second? Yeah, go ahead. Mine's the bridge ladder sequence we just talked about. Great scene. Can I take all of it from oh, yeah. the chopping to the gobbling? The chopping of the, <laughs> the ropes to the gobbling of Molarama. Absolutely. I'll take all of it. Okay. Okay, that's mine. So uh, I, I guess my favorite scene I'm not saying it's necessarily the best scene in the movie. My favorite scene is really the dinner scene. I mean, that was just so, that, that's the one that just is, I, that's the one scene that really stands out in my mind all these years. Excellent. So creepy. Yeah, so creepy, so off-putting. It's the shock value scene of this entire movie. Oh, goodness. Uh, what's I, Mine might be like when Indy says, he's like, he's like it, Willie Scott's like, Indy, let's get out of here. And he's like, right. All of us. And then we cut to the slave children. And then like that guy like whips a kid in front of Indy silhouetted like in the shadows. And he's just like, oh, you, you fucked with the wrong guy. <laughs> and then we didn't talk about Indy's sound effect punch, but we did in Raiders. Oh, my God. It sounds like he breaks every bone in the, uh, someone's face when he punches someone. But he does a and that guy goes sliding on the gravel. Like that's my favorite scene. It's Indy's arrived if he wasn't already like an iconic character from Raiders, he is now. I mean, like film two is establishing that for us. There's a lot to pick from in this. What's the? Oh my god! 
we need to pour some more of the Calumet uh, bourbon whiskey to just wash our taste of this particular scene. I mean, what are you guys picking here? What what's uh, what's the question? Oh, the oh my god! I mean, it's oh, the, the oh my god! It's the oh my god moment of the film. Oh, um, drawing a blank. No, I'll help you guys yeah. out because mine's easy. It's the sound bit I played. It's Indy hearing the whipped children off screen. Oh, that was pretty. Yeah, and then the whipped the the children husks in the kind of alcove there. It's it's the turning point for him. But man, children in danger. Uh, yeah, this is yeah. I I got to go with that one. I'm gonna go with the ripping the heart out. Yeah, that was that was over the top. It's good stuff. Yeah. I mean, that effect. Oh my god, rem- <laughs> that ref- that effect reminds me of the face peeling from Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the second forced drinking of that zombie wine blood. Oh, after shit. His, his whipping. Yeah. So um, similar to Saving Private Ryan, the knife scene in that. Ooh, oh, oh my God. Shh, 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 shh. Yeah. Kind of helpless and just forced to take it. Every time I watch Saving Private Ryan, I'm like, man, if that guy would just go up the stairs, he mm-hmm. could save his little comrade and mm-hmm. never, ever. He uh, doesn't ever go up that's there. That's the hardest scene to watch in that film. So that made me think of that because he just... He wants to fight it off, but he's just being overwhelmed because the guy's just more physically brutish than he is at that point. So that the force nature of that. Gentlemen, who is the master distiller on Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? I'll agree with what you said earlier. For all of my issues with this film, and I think they've been extolled here quite a bit, I do think Harrison Ford has his feet underneath him, what it means to be Indy. So I'm going to give it to him. He is in full command of this character, and... By the time we get to the third entry, he's taken on a little bit of age. This is robust, virile indie, and he has got it figured out. And this is a very capable man, shall we say? Yeah. Regardless of his misunderstandings. <laughs> mm. It's hard not to agree with you. You can. You know, but um, I, I know you guys are going to hate me for this, but I, I think Short Round was a nice addition to the movie for me, it just made it, it made it more family oriented and a little more comedic, um, uh, which kind of offsets some of the darkness and, and he becomes sort of a hero in his own way. Short uh, rounds, the palate cleanser of this film, the palate cleanser. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he helps us make it, you know, yeah, we it, don't, we don't go too far that way where it becomes Jesus. Like, like we're murdering children in this mine, or like he helps reel it back a little bit. Uh, great choice. I mean, uh, this is kind of crazy. I always used because I didn't know the New York Yankees logo just yet when I saw this, but I always thought his hat was like a Chinese symbol. Like I don't know like what that was. <laughs> That's just little child Jesse not like fully getting it yet, but interesting choice for him to kind of like be wearing that. Uh I kind of got to give it to Harrison Ford too. I mean, if you're herniating your back disc, and you're oh, yeah. and you're still giving the performance you're giving and being as heroic as this film needs you to be. God, I got to give it to you, especially after my my flight question of him just like not being into the Hollywood glitz and glam, but he's into acting. And I've asked this of a lot of people. I was like, when you see Harrison Ford on screen, and I could probably do this off of one hand. I was like. There's certain people that when you see them, you realize that guy's a movie star. Marlon Brando's one of them. Uh, and Harrison Ford's another. I'm like, do you, think, yeah. do you think Harrison Ford's a good actor? And the answer is yes, because he just makes you believe every character he plays. But 
the guy has such a natural charisma, he just makes it work. And this character solidified. If Han Solo didn't do that, this character's sign sealed, delivered, is mailing that to whoever needs to know that information. <laughs> to that. Well said. Yeah. Last question, gentlemen. Thank you, Mark. Mm-hmm. How are you guys going to rate and grade Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? Now, this should be wild. Uh, we have Rock Gut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Mark, I'm going to let you go first. Well, I, I think I gave Raiders the first one, Top Shelf. Oh, absolutely. And <coughs> this is almost, almost as good for me. Um, so top shelf minus, can I say that? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. You know, there are a couple of things like we've, we've, we beat up. Mm-hmm. I know Matt really took apart some of the storyline and you know, some of the, some of the action was like, eh, it's a little over the top. Not, yeah. not, not, not as believable as some of the other Indiana Jones stunts, but, uh, but you, it's a really, I really enjoyed watching it again. You it's had a good fun movie. You had a good time rewatching it. I did. I did. Excellent. Top shelf minus. Matt, everyone's writing for this. <laughs> Where are you going with Temple of Doom? Well, I won't give it well minus. It's in consideration, but it's not well minus. And I will say this, though. As I was watching this last night, Ava did come in to watch it with me, and she mm-hmm. sat down and she enjoyed it, and she was about the age that I watched it. And so yeah, it may not be for me, but that's also part of the test of a film being able to stand the test of time Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, there are some moments that save it, but and if it wasn't for the show, I'm going to say it because it's been a few. I really would have turned it off, and I, I don't ever I don't ever need to see this film again. This is the last Temple of Doom. I will, for I'll never watch this film again. Um, I love Harrison Ford. I love that character. Mm-hmm. The, the, char- this, the characters is awesome. Right. Yeah. So Perfect. I mean, there's it's not just entire garbage from fade in to fade out. There's so many misses. Oh, look, I mean, you guys just listen to the show. Were we an hour and 50 minutes in or something yeah, now? Not long enough. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't need to go over all that. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, not hard pass, but pass going forward. I, I think it's below average. I think the set design for a lot of it was bad. Um, I really struggled with the space in the Temple of Doom. Uh, I really the thought set, that the fact the set that design the, was bad for, for I this, thought it was, t- I thought it was terrible. Oh, from, from, oh. I don't know. For, I don't know. I can't say to then. I can just say now that... I kept going back. Okay, let me do one more thing here. I kept going back to, I think it's season two or three of The Walking Dead when they're in the jail, and they had three sets in there, and it was like two prison cells, the fucking corridor, and the mess hall, and they shot three seasons in the same space, and that's why Frank Darabont left, because he said, you guys haven't funded this properly. I'm out of here, and it showed so poorly in that. Now, this is a funded film, so I'm not saying that, it's just spatially not accurate to me. The motivations are tan- very, very messy. Um, I actually, I do like Kate Capshaw more than Karen Allen, so I'll give it that. Uh, that's surprising. That might be the most shocking thing of the whole film. I mean, I guess maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's just well. I hope Crystal Skull gets a lower rating. Oh, than, uh, th- come on. That's like one of the 10 worst films that's ever been <laughs> okay, made. Okay, You'll never forget that night when you saw me. Like. <laughs> Right. That's why we have to do that film, and we'll, we'll bring you back. Okay. And we'll just we'll just have a rip fest. I, I don't think I I don't think I watched that one, so I'd love to. Oh, no, we'll watch that you one together. Come yeah, over let's and do that. Yeah. Come over and watch with us. Yeah. And we have we'll, to drink like orange feet or purple feet again. No, I'll make mimosas. Oh, okay. We'll make mimosas, and then we'll come in here and drink bourbon. All right. There you go. 
Okay, so guys. loaded. In <laughs> oh my God. Okay, hang on. Okay. More smile and right smile. <laughs> yeah, right? maybe that's. Well, look at you. Oh, I, lo- I love you, Mark. Uh, I love you too, Mark. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, guys. I had I had a crazy recollection watching Temple of Doom. I watched this on 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 Sunday. It's a Tuesday, everybody. Uh, we uh, I had such a good time watching this film. Now again. My disclaimer. For the 41st time or whatever it was. Yes. Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of the five most perfect films ever made. That film's a masterpiece. Yes. Forever, I've always stated Last Crusade was my second favorite indie film. Still no argument. I need, I'm going to need to revisit Last Crusade and, you know, we'll get to that film eventually because I can't, I'd love to talk about Sean Connery and the father element and bringing all the characters back and the Holy Grail. I mean, that film's great. Bringing in a Bond character, yeah. As of right now, this is a hot take. This is my second favorite Indiana Jones film. I mean, I had such a fun time watching that. Maybe that was because I had that film, like, as loud as it possibly could be in the other room. It looked amazing on Blu-ray. Uh, I just had a fun time watching it. It took me back to when I got the, from Suncoast Video, Matt, uh, the trilogy box set of these first three films. And again, 41 times maybe, maybe more, I watched Temple, to, Temple of Doom a lot, and... I can see it shortcomings. Some of the raft scene, unforgivable. Kate Capshaw for me, she's insufferable. Like she's worse than Karen Allen. Oh my God, get get Kate Capshaw out of this film. She married Spielberg. Good for her. I had fun with just the adventure. Maybe it reminded me of Disneyland. Maybe it reminded me of just a lot of the swashbuckling antics of what this film is. But I had fun with it. And this is coming back to what I said at the beginning of this episode, man. Fucking Snyderverse and Godzilla versus Kong and all these films coming out in the summer are so mm-hmm. full of it and so dark and dreary and don't know what they're trying to do. And man, summer films need to get back to being fun like this film. Whether you like it or not, I mean, when you go to the theater and you go see this thing, I mean, you you just leave the theater just like, man, that was kind of a fun adventure. I mean, it was crazy and wacky and I maybe I not agree with all of it. I want more of that and less of the stuff we get currently. And I think that I think maybe more than like some films I've we've covered before. I just I, I just had fun with this one. And that's just That's allowed. That's I, also important. I feel like I needed that with, with this film. And Temple of Doom is just equals fun. Yeah. So why don't we wrap this up, gentlemen? This is gonna be a lot of fun. I don't mm-hmm. know where you guys are coming in on this one, but let's wrap this up with a nightcap. Yeah, John Williams' music in this film is pretty great. I may have fibbed a little bit in this episode when I said, hey, I identify a short round because he's the kid. Bullshit. I mean, I wanted to be Indiana Jones. I went to Disneyland. I got my own fedora. I wanted to be that character. I mean, he's so cool. And Mark, you texted us this uh, today, actually. News of Indiana Jones 5 in production, maybe as we speak, coming out in two or three years. Harrison Ford is almost 80 years old. I don't know how this film's going to work out. Is he out. really? Yeah. He's like oh, wow. 77. How it's going to work out, it's a it's James Mangold, different director. It ain't Spielberg. I'm very curious to see what that even looks like, feels like. Like, it's going to be weird. Matt, we've talked about a lot about this franchise making to 33 injuries with Godzilla. And the only thing they need to do is just get a younger actor and just tell new stories. So... 
Mark, I kind of did the work for you, but pitch us on that nightcap question. Yeah. So the question was, and I don't know if you read this too, and that stuff I sent you that they're possibly, they're possibly going to be sequels to Indiana Jones five. So there's an opportunity to cast somebody else in the role. Mm -hmm. Who would you pick to play? Cause Harrison Ford is 77 now or mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. This was tricky for me because I'm not sure what age is pro appropriate. I struggled with, is this Depends on the story sub line, 30 guess, uh, yeah, yeah. or is this 30 to 40? Is this 40 to 50? And I felt like to have enough knowledge and general worldly expertise to really make me believe the character, I need someone 30 to 40. Okay. And probably the latter half of that. 50 might be pushing it. So anytime we go down this road, mm -hmm. I feel like I always come to the same answer. So okay. I'm not going to let myself answer with Taron Edgerton. Like, I'm not going to let myself do that. God, he's, he's such a good choice. But he's perfect, isn't he? Yeah. Okay, so that's the honorable mention. Okay. The other one that I thought could be sneaky good in this is Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm. Mm. And I think the age and the chops and the acting ability that he has works entirely well for me. Uh, there's an honorable mention that I'm not going to say because I imagine someone else is probably going to come up with it. Okay. So I'm not going to take that. Okay. But I'm going to go with Jake Gyllenhaal. And we haven't really seen him. I know he's done, he's done a boxing film. We haven't seen him in the non-cerebral, right, Southpaw. We haven't seen him in this. And I actually really think he's a talented actor. I love Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go with Jake Gyllenhaal. Great choice. Good choice. Thank you. That guy's been so close, just real quick. Oh, and then, so close. And then you're going to go, you're going to go, Mark. Uh, okay. He was going to replace Tobey Maguire on Spider-Man 2 because Maguire fucked his back up on Seabiscuit. He was going to take the role of Spider-Man, but he was also, he was Christopher Nolan's second choice after Christian Bale for Batman Begins. So do you know who Jake Gyllenhaal is? Hmm. You're going to love this. To me, Jake Gyllenhaal in the acting world is the Hollies in the world of rock and roll. Oh, you're so right. Like a song away. But do, it, but that's one thing, us saying that. Does he want that? Because he's made some good movies too. I mean, like, I mean, he's had a career. He chooses sometimes um, out of the mainstream independent sort of stuff. And I mean, we could go obviously with Brokeback and Donnie Darko, but even Prisoners. Yeah. And even to... You know, some other Nolan things, um, Zodiac comes to mind. He's not going to be the guy that's going to probably be front and center on the movie poster unless he wanted to. And mm -hmm. then he could easily do that, too. I think he's really talented. The guy's got chops. And so, yeah. I love it. All right. So there's one for Jake Gyllenhaal. Mark, you want to go next or you want to go third? Sure. Uh, I'll go next. All right. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So I, I did, uh, quick, quick more trivia on Harrison Ford. Did you guys read that Tom Selleck was originally cast for that role but then he got the magnum pi job i and just got, seen what's that um oh what's that uh that would have changed the movie deep fake <laughs> no the one that he um the mines king uh, solomon's Mines. yeah king solomon's Mines. yeah that to me was what indy was sort of built on that is idea is that richard no richard chamberlain it is yeah but you're right I think he had ties to that film once upon a time as well. I'm going to uh, show you guys after after we cut after this. Uh, someone did. I don't know if you guys are familiar with deep fake technology, but mm -hmm. what that does is they take an actor's face and put it on the existing film, and it's uncanny. Yeah, yeah. Someone did Tom Selleck on Harrison Ford and Raiders, and I'm just going to say, 
I wouldn't have been upset yeah. about it. I mean, it would have been pretty good. There's something about the stash that looks pretty it good. Worked. It yeah, worked. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I, I was having trouble visualizing it. So um, if I could do a runner up, um, and I really, I struggle with this. I, I, Chris Pratt. I thought, you know, I, I, lo- I loved him in Guardians of the Galaxy. I could see that type of character, campy, He's, he but seems like the go-to. action-oriented, mm-hmm. might be good as Raiders of the Lost Ark. But then I had to default to, you know, childhood friend from Modesto, Timothy Oliphant. Uh, oh, my the, God, that's a great De- choice. Deadwood, great choice. you know, and uh, um, Justified. And yeah. and he's, he's also done some comp. He started off in comedy before he went into acting. Um, but you know, Santa Clarita diet where, you know, it's kind mm. of a campier, he could probably do, he could probably pull that off. He's handsome, can have a little bit of silliness to him. I think that'd be a good, good indie. Mark, yeah. bring your glass. I got to raise it. <laughs> that's, that's a great choice. Cause you know what kind of this needs is I don't want to say necessarily unknown, but someone that you wouldn't picture playing this character is what you need. I've made this argument a lot on this show that damn it, they needed to do this in the eighties the James Bond route, recast mm-hmm. the character, give us more adventures, get us to the idea that Harrison's the only one that can play this character. He's the Sean Connery of this franchise. We just need to find the Roger Moore. Right, right. <laughs> and I think I found the Roger Moore. Let's see if you guys like my choice. I kind of want a little kind of zany with my indie, but then a proven kind of action vehicle. And this guy's waiting for it too. He's your Gyllenhaal. It's John Krasinski. Oh, too. So yeah. love that. Yeah. I yeah. love it. So yeah. He was great in J- the Jack Ryan series. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So that, that guy's, whether it's Mr. Fantastic or mm-hmm. indie reboot, uh, mm-hmm. I think he could be the Roger Moore of the indie franchise. Well said. So, cause he's got the comedic stuff too, from the office. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He can pull that off too. That's a good choice. He can direct the movies too. That's I right. mean, yeah. he made a quiet place. We did that on yeah. the show. Uh, I kind of like all your choices, so maybe line them all up, make some films with all of them. But I think the biggest miss, and we've established this map before, is that they haven't done this sooner because I think we've established that we like the world, we like the character, and we just want more of this of these adventures mm-hmm. and just give us just different iterations of it. Those books down there, I mean, they do the job for you. Just adapt one of them. I right. mean, Jesus Christ. And there are plenty of artifacts, right? That you can never write ending. About. Never ending. And to me, Indy and James Bond. I mean, the argument is unavoidable. Bond is globe trekking. Indy's globe trekking. I mean, Indy does a globe trekking thing with the little red line of travel. Just do that with. Just give us more. I mean, we need more. And it needs to not be Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Coming to a podcast nearby soon. The Summer Box Office Hall of Shame, so to speak. <laughs> Ooh. Mark, I just want to thank you for coming on to Temple of Doom. I'm just saying this right now just because, you know, I've had a few, I've had a few, bur- but I truly mean this. Mm-hmm. This is one of our best episodes. This has oh, been, God, this you. has been an absolute blast. I mean, I love when we're so different on the interpretation of the film, but we still have a good time discussing it, so to speak. And this has just been so much fun. I mean... Last Crusade's gonna rear it, rear its head. I was gonna say ugly head, but that movie's great. Uh, it's gonna rear its head. We're gonna have you back. We're gonna we're gonna oh, finish this franchise out right with you. So thank you for coming along. Oh well, thank you for having me again. It's an honor to be with with experts like yourselves talking about these great films. So much fun. Take the title of expert uh, lightly, but also uh, uh, relatively speaking towards me, uh, you guys yes. are, you guys are the gurus. I am. I am very. Uh, 
I'm looking for the right word, Matt. Matt, what word am I looking for? I am very much uh, humbled by that word. Thank you. So, Mark, I appreciate all those kind words. And we're starting a new tradition tonight also, aren't we, Jesse? Mm -hmm. So anytime we host a guest on, we are heading them out with a wry smile memorabilia piece. So we'll cut some pictures here and everybody can see it. And this is, I'm really, I'm not plugging the merchandise store at all. It's just a way for us to say thanks. So Mark's leaving with uh, the rice smiled bannered with the camera behind it. Not the one that's on the t-shirt, but the other one mm-hmm. uh, on the coffee mug. And that's going to be the standard way we go. Absolutely. Eventually we will move to a golden jacket, but that's only for the seven timers <laughs> club. So you got, <laughs> I got a, a few bi- go, bi- yeah. pieces of merchandise before you get there, amigo. Well, thank you so much. This <laughs> thank is a you, wonderful Mark. coffee mug. I appreciate it's it. been our pleasure. Thank you for being on. Absolutely. I'm going to have to find a way to get a fourth mic in here because something I forgot to mention when I said Indi- uh, Temple of Doom is my second favorite was I'm going to have to explain to Nate why Last Crusade isn't my second favorite because I would love to have you get the both of you guys in here together because uh, that would just be just a great conversation around Robin and four people. tag team it. Absolutely. Like two against two and you can like, like, like wrestling. Go. Yeah. <laughs> like, like if we're agreeing with somebody okay nate go and then he come oh that could be so much fun (laughs) we'll plan it but this has been this has been great uh we're going to continue on this summer box office hall of fame matt we're coming back to another franchise a franchise we covered in our infancy in this podcast and a franchise we gave that film a pretty good decent rating uh even though the time travel aspect almost it was very hit or miss for us but what are we going to say about the sequel Coming up next week from 1991, to me, this film, hot take. Everyone says Jurassic Park changed how CGI totally changed the world. I'm going to argue it happened with this film. 1991, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. I can't wait to talk about James Cameron again. Uh, This film, is it better than the first one? kind of think it is by a lot uh the effects are amazing arnold's kind of good in this film another kid not short round edward furlong jesus uh not a good actor uh it's gonna be a lot of fun i mean amazing score by guns and roses (laughs) and the redheaded kid that was in every 80s movie this is gonna be a wild ride to talk about terminator 2 judgment day often regarded as one of the better sequels in all of sequels uh Let's see if we come to that consensus, but... Is there a way that you can shield the RSS feed from Skynet? Ooh. Unavoidable. Bingo. But gentlemen, cheers. 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 I got to get going. I got to go search for my own Shankara stones. I hope they don't lead me down the path of the thuggy cult because, Jesus, I mean... I don't want to get my heart ripped out. I don't want to have to eat bugs. I don't want to have to get centipedes crawling up my hair. I already hate bugs to begin with. You do hate bugs. I'm just glad that it got heated today and my heart didn't beat out of my chest. Because, Mark, you would have had to catch it. <laughs> well, I got to run, go oil up my uh, bullwhip there because it's got awfully dry at this last episode. Excellent. It's too busy beating Harrison Ford in short round this whole episode. Exactly. <laughs> Can we just say one thing? We didn't talk about this thing. Like, why can't Indiana Jones figure out like the Bond girl path and give us like a female character that's like not like shrill and annoying? Like maybe Last Crusade has an answer for us, but maybe not. Uh, maybe that's something to come in the franchise. Uh, in the franchise to be. Mm. But we'll see you all next week. Thank you very much. Hit us up on Facebook or Instagram. We have Matt established the T Public merchandise store, and then Patreon.com. 
uh, slash Rice Smile Films for exclusive bonus content. As, as we've talked about before, Rice Smile After Dark. I mean, whatever, <laughs> however you want to establish yeah. it. There's some fun stuff going on over there as well. Come be part of that collective. But we'll, see, but we'll see you all next time. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. For more Rye Smile content, go to patreon.com slash Films for exclusive bonus episodes, plus feature-length watch-along commentaries on your favorite movies and TV show recap episodes covering the best from the small screen. For Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is property of Paramount Pictures and Lucasfilm Limited and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. The stones are mine! You betrayed Shira. You betrayed Shira. You betrayed Shira. This was cutting! 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 This was cutting!